All right, Bizzlecast listeners, welcome to the Bizzlecast review party for Captain America Civil War, Marvel's um, most recent um, movie. You might have heard of it or seen it a thousand times on television and in previews. Um, we all generally like the movie, and I'm going to introduce the we in a second. Uh, we are recording this on Saturday, May 7th. The movie officially opened to previews, uh, which I saw and, and Gabriel saw Thursday night, um, May 5th. So it's only been out a few days. I'm going to wait till the end of the weekend so all the, the real fans can see it and not be spoiled. This is a spoiler podcast. I've already done a, a mini review of my own, so we're not even going to do a spoiler-free section here. So you should definitely um, go see the movie. Um, although the first couple minutes will just be our general impression. So you could just listen to that and then come back, but hopefully you've seen the movie by now. Um, and, uh, it's getting good, uh, reactions overall by both press and the people. So I'm going to introduce my two, uh, contributors today. Um, one is, is a new contributor, although someone I wanted to get on, uh, for a while, but first welcoming back multi-time co-contributor, uh, Gabriel, how are you doing, buddy? Oh man, doing great. Uh, saw the saw the movie again for a second time this morning, nine thirty show, pretty packed house. It wasn't sold out, but still, still packed. And uh, yeah, just still high energy in the theater. Um, it's a good way to start your morning. Better than coffee. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but my next guest actually has you beat because he saw the eight a.m. show yesterday. Oh. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, my uh, old buddy uh, Noah Temple. Um, Noah and I are connected through uh, the uh, ubiquitous Jewish summer camp connection, <laughs> among other things. Uh, and what's great about summer camp because Noah is actually uh, a young lad compared to myself and Gabriel um, is that you're not only friends with people your age, but you're friends with the younger siblings of your friends your age and their friends. And that's the case here. He's good buddies. Um, we have a bunch of friends in common, but especially, uh, especially uh, our friend Seth, who uh, I-, I knew growing up in Philadelphia doing Jewish functions and, and going to synagogue and-, and Jewish day school and so forth. Noah and I connected uh, much later when I went back to camp to work for a summer, became buddies, stayed in touch. Turned out that he and, and a bunch of their buddies were at Temple University as undergrads when I was a grad student there and when Gabriel was a grad student there there and so we we've stayed connected he's been on the west coast for a while so noah not only are you back on the east coast we're finally getting you on the Bizzlecast. uh give a, qu- a quick little hello and an intro to the Bizzlecast listeners oh, i'm so happy to be here here jesse uh so far i am floored by civil war i can't wait to see it again and yeah i saw it at 8 a.m and it was it was really great. I actually had to accompany it with a lot of coffee, though, too. I mean, the movie was great, but it was early. I had to get up at, like, 6.45 so I could escape any sort of Philadelphia crowd uh, of people that might be too loud for me during the movie. Uh, but, yeah, so I saw it in IMAX non-3D, which is kind of my preference, and just loved it. Happy to be here. Absolutely. I saw it. Um, I don't do... Um, uh, 3D at all. Uh, I, I generally like the RPX theaters. I saw it once on RPX. I saw it once down on Columbus Boulevard on a regular theater. Not so good uh, the second time. Luckily, I saw RPX the first time. Reserved tickets for Thursday night. Gabriel, how how uh, did you? Uh, how have you seen the movie? What formats? Just standard 2D. Uh, nothing nothing too flashy. Yeah, I got free, free popcorn though. 
We're, <laughs> we're classic guys. We're old school. 2D all the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Gabriel and I have some funny stories about food before movies. Maybe we'll get there <laughs> later. Um, and so this is great. So all three of us have, have similar interests uh, in this sort of thing. Uh, Gabriel has been on a number of times. We're talking about Star Wars a couple times. Our uh, Gabriel, I think I sent this to you. Our, our our podcast about Hollywood's race problem is over 150 and still climbing. And I've been getting great feedback um, about it. Uh, was that the last podcast we did together? That was a great one. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we're certainly going to be revisiting some of these themes. Uh, some of those themes, I should say. Um, especially talking about characters like um, uh, Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa slash Black Panther and Anthony Mackie as Falcon, Don Cheadle, War Machine. We knew all three of those were going to be in it. Um, And so uh, we're going to get to all of that, um, but with uh, scores on uh, Rotten Tomatoes at the moment of 91% and 92% for reviewers and audience, uh, respectively. People seem to be liking it, um, although, you know, even the, the, the good reviews of the movie point out that there are a, a number of flaws to it, um, either flaws of omission or, or flaws of commission. Uh, we will get to that. But, Noah, as your first time on the uh, Bizzlecast, uh, I would love to hear your initial sort of overarching review and thoughts about, uh, about this movie. Um, and you can also talk, you know, as part of that, it's like your expectations going in, you know, what, what were you comparing this to, and so forth. Go ahead. Yeah, so I feel that my overall reaction is that I loved it. Again, I think off the bat, week third, uh, third act post-climax for sure but the movie's so much fun and you love the character so much that you're okay just writing it out uh i i found something really interesting that um jesse showed me just before we started recording a new york times article about um robert downey jr and captain america's characters representing uh such interesting political stances right now and where we are politically and i and if you want to say that's a little forced or not, you can, especially because they wrote the movie before all this uh, Trump-Bernie madness that's going on now. But it definitely is already the film feels like it will be looked back as being a part of a cultural zeitgeist for sure. Um, overall, I like uh, that we're getting the more female characters. I'm not a big Black Widow fan, but I think she did a better job in this film being more than just Hulk and Captain America's hand holders. And um, Jesse was saying this before, the idea of her just being this little glue that's like everybody's best friend. I think she really played out how she had to pick sides, or at least initially, and I thought that was great. Um, what else? Elizabeth Olsen was yes. great. Yes. Love her. I'm, without, I, would, I would be hating more on Marvel's uh, policy with female superheroes if it wasn't for her portrayal of Scarlet Witch, for sure. I mean, she's, she's really doing a great job, and she, she really brought herself around, uh, especially in, in the uh, very first action scene in this, which I think is probably the best action scene in the movie is when they are running around... Where are they again? Uh, Lagos. Lagos, Lagos, right, in Lagos. Uh, you get a little born identity feel in this fight scene, chasing through these tight areas and that again brings me right back to what i love about the captain america saga just in the solo films of having it be so spy film oriented political espionage 
you really get that in this more of the feeling of an overarching conspiracy. Uh, you get that with this film as well, but in a fresh new way, which is just great. Um, again, though, another thing about this film, though, is it is very much, in my opinion, the darkest Marvel film that's come out. Um, no question about it. Uh, oh, to get back to uh, Scarlet Witch, she, uh, her performance in, Laos, in Lagos was amazing. She had such a deep tragedy occur there right in front of her eyes by destructing that... Uh, uh, by destroying the villain with her with her energy, I thought that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, and then well, she has to come to terms with that, right? Him. In she a did. kind of mirroring character arc with Tony Stark, uh, they're kind of I love that they're mirroring character identities, but then both going off in different ways as the movie progresses. And you get that with a couple of the characters in the movie. People are real; the characters in this are really picking their own ways, except for say maybe someone like Falcon who has picked the way of truly trusting Steve. And that's what his character is. His character is someone who will go with Steve till the end. Gabriel, I think you wanted to respond about the Scarlet Witch. I think he was talking about uh, Crossbones when Crossbones tried to blow himself up. Right. And she threw him into the apartment building. It was an an attempt. She was attempting to contain the explosion and, you know, save, save cat really and that's why right. she lifted him into the air did not really realizing that they were that close to right know, and that, this was this uh, was the first of many and this was the first of many inconsistencies for me which was she gets blamed for killing all these people but if rumlow pushes the bomb there i think more people die in the marketplace right so Definitely. you know again I, you know to, to blame all of that on, on her um and we'll get back to it you know i mean sokovia with Ultron in the age of Ultron is the only one where the Avengers were really directly at fault. Otherwise, they were cleaning up S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra's garbage. So we can get back to the modes behind the Sokovia Accords. Um, I've already done my mini-review. I have a few uh, um, new thoughts, but uh, Gabriel, any reactions to Noah or uh, um, o- o- overall uh, thoughts and impressions from uh, the movie? I mean, love the, mu- uh, love the movie. For myself, I was going in kind of comparing it to Winter Soldier, hoping it would live up to Winter Soldier. Um, I think it, it's just as qu- the quality is on par with Winter Soldier. I think I may have enjoyed it slightly less just because the themes are so much darker and, you know, it's just a lot of less fun things happen with the, you know, friendship being tested and the same characters that you really care about at odds with each other, hurting each other. It was painful to watch. It's like seeing your family fight. So it, it may not invite as many rewatching, uh, uh, reviews as like winter, uh, winter soldier, which I could go back to and just pick up and watch at any time and, just, and find enjoyment. Um, let me see what else. And again, it's to touch on like the same reasons where it may not be as fun. Same reason why it is so powerful. And so, so special like the themes that you know were handled so well like loyalty friendship um and you know new friendships childhood friendships you know parental bonds and they're all you know handled very dramatically almost operatic almost with a shakespearean quality um with a lot of depth and our investment in characters over you know so many films is just the impact makes it you know, so much more than it would have been possible with just a one-off movie. Um, it's just something to, you know, really be appreciated that what the Marvel films have been able to do, 
So in many ways, like there's been talk of that this is like the culmination of all the all the movies that have come before it, and it really is for me. But it is the culmination, but it's also dependent on what came before it. So you know, whereas Winter Soldier and the the, the first Avengers movie is maybe more of a standalone thing that you can go in and watch, you definitely need to have seen uh, the previous movies to really get the full effect of civil war. So, I mean, can you consider that a flaw? Yes, I guess that, you know, you, it does take a prior investment to, to to really be able to enjoy it. I mean, for some people that will hurt, you know, how they, they view the film, but for somebody who's already been been invested, it's the payoff was, was just just fantastic. Love the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys bring up a lot of great points. Um, I, I covered a lot of this in my mini-review. Um, I, I like the character stuff that you guys pointed to. I, I'm going to agree with Gabriel. Uh, it, just my early impression, I don't like it as much as The Winter Soldier, because what made The Winter Soldier so great was that it was just a handful of characters. I do love Black Widow, but it's mostly just because I love Scarlett Johansson. The writing for her has not always been great. As an Ultron, as Noah pointed out, but her relationship with Steve in The Winter Soldier and the way he turns her from... Uh, uh, you know, an assassin who just happens to be fighting for the good guys to like actually a good person who sees herself as a person and wants to do good things. That that was the most interesting character arc for me in the entire MCU so far, at least in terms of the Avengers. Um, I, I I thought she, with her limited screen time, she she killed it in this movie, and it's not a surprise that the day it came out, um, they finally announced that they want to do a Black Widow movie because you know sh- she could really flourish in, in that environment. Now I think of the ghost in the shell movie uh, without getting too far off topic which yeah all true ghost in the shell fans other than me i'm the only one who's excited about it if it's good and non-offensive that might become a franchise for her but i thought scarlet did great in the movie but yeah i mean from an action standpoint and we'll get back to this they shot this completely different from the winter soldier the winter soldier and by the way gabriel uh noah is a, a career uh film person uh cinematographer you know camera operator film writer um just creative so he, he's really really a film nerd uh, and also a sci-fi uh nerd like myself um but, uh, you know, if you look at the Winter Soldier fight scenes, it's all mid-range shots. You can tell exactly what's going on. There's not a lot of shaky cam. They do different angles, but it's never quick cuts. This movie was sort of the opposite in both directions. The early street-level stuff, which I loved. I'm, I'm glad, Noah, you brought up Elizabeth Olsen. The way she was quarterbacking that thing, like throwing people all over the place, I thought was amazing. Uh, and I love that she was still in training. It would make sense, given her level of power, that she'd be the one to accidentally, you know, quote-unquote screw up, although I'm not convinced that she really screwed up um, in that situation. Uh, we can get back to that. Um, so I-, I was cool with the shaky cam stuff with the ground level. Um, I think the, the, the action that was the closest to the Winter Soldier was... The second big set piece where Bucky's escaping and Black Panther and Cap are both going after Bucky. That scene in the uh, in the tunnel and on the highway, that was very reminiscent of what went on in uh, the DC slash Cleveland streets uh, of the Winter Soldier. And then when you get to the big hero battle, which we'll talk about, everyone's raving about it. You know, all the superheroes going at each other with zero stakes because you know nobody's going to die. <laughs> um, it is a ton of long shots. But you have to because when you have, spoiler alert, you know, 
know, a hundred foot Ant Man, you know, uh, crashing uh, airplanes against each other, and the Scarlet Witch pulling out dozens of cars from the parking garage and dropping them on Iron Man. You need to pull the camera way back. I wasn't sure how the uh, Russos were going to do with the uh, big epic superhero stuff going into this. I still think Whedon does it the best. Noah and I talked about this a little already. Um, uh, well, why don't we launch from here? This this will be a great thing to talk about. Uh, Gabriel, uh, Noah and I are both big Joss Whedon fans. We're both big Ultron fans, which I love because most of my nerd friends like but don't love Ultron. Um, I love Ultron. I still think that's the best big superhero uh, stuff we've seen just from a visual standpoint. Um, so, Gabriel, how would you put this... Uh, forget the Winter Soldier for a second. Just in terms of filming, how would you put this sort of in continuity or, or in contrast or comparison with the two Joss Whedon Avengers movies? I would have to give that, air, that German airport scene the edge for one reason. Ant-Man. Like, the... The, the scale, both miniature and like gigantic, you know, that he that he brings to the fight makes it, it just takes it to another level. Where you have, um, you know, he's running inside of the you know Tony's suit. You know, he's doing the miniature like this. He's running from the fire suppression system and growing large. And what's have like a, a kaiju esque battle. You know, uh, Empire Strikes Back is referenced. You know. Breaking the the fourth wall, kind of Spider Man is like, hey, you know, it's... and some Disney synergy as well. It was not also, lost on yeah. the audience, I'm sure. Yeah, it's just uh, for me that that took it over the top in terms of just the creativity of, of the set piece. Uh, and you, I mean, you have you have dog fights, you have projectiles, you have you know arrows as uh, vehicles as projectiles into you know uh, exploding truck. Uh, cars, it's just it's just all over the place, and just for the variety, the creativity, the personality that was expressed in in the movements and in the, in the fights, um, I, I think I would give the the edge to this this movie, just the, just the way the characters express themselves. Like you have Ant Man is very very unique style, um, Black Panther. You know, no nonsense, hand to hand, mixed with the you know super OP uh, vision and and, and right. Scarlet Witch kind of just like yep. you know being guardians of the whole thing, dictating, pulling strings Scarlet from Witch a distance. So much ass in the airport battle is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, they she was they just, had no chance without her. Yeah, and she was just you know kind of behind everybody, backing everyone up, talk, you know, finally turning the tables on Hawkeye. Like, yo, don't pull your punches, like. After, you know, from Ultron and earlier in the movie where Hawkeye was the pep talker and she was like, yo, don't, don't bitch out on us. Like, come on, bring it. So, Side note, can we get a Scarlet Witch and Vision sitcom on television <laughs> where they're cooking and using their superpowers? Because yeah. that would be yeah. fucking amazing. I'm going to pass this to Noah real quick. I'm just going to say because of the aforementioned low stakes of the airport battle and the, just the fact that it was so hyped up coming into the movie, you know, I, when I saw Ultron in the theater for the first time, I had no idea about Sokovia or the Flying City or any, like, I had no idea anything in that scene or what was going on there. I knew the airport battle was coming and, you know, oh, let's empty the civilians. I mean, it's a Marvel thing. I'm, I'm cool with not killing civilians. I just felt like the emotional stakes weren't totally there. Um, although it was a cool little curveball that Vision was the one who almost killed Rhodey, maybe by accident, maybe not. Uh, no, I want you to jump in on this one. 
Yeah, definitely. I feel that this film really, in a couple ways, can't be compared to... Well, of course it can be compared to all the Captain movies, but I think it should be compared to Age of Ultron from the standpoint of directorial style. They found out that they were going to... The Russo brothers found out that they were taking over the franchise right before... Or actually, I think even when they were in beginning production for this film, they found out that no, 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 Joss isn't coming back for for the Infinity Wars, and that's going to be you guys. I think that put them in this place where they felt they needed to um, switch kind of gears from what they're really good at, which I think are nitty-gritty chase fight scenes, and then they needed to show you these big fight scenes, which I don't think they, again, pulled off as well because they didn't set stakes and instead of saying stake, and they didn't, they also didn't have fun. So I think a good scene to compare it to is the first scene in Age of Ultron. That is such pure Joss Whedon, and it's such an example of how good he is at ensemble pieces and showing everyone. I mean, there are no long takes in this movie. And and I've expressed even before Civil War came out that I was concerned about the Russos doing the Infinity War movies. Although, uh, side note, they're renaming those movies to be individual movies. They're not going to be called uh, Infinity War Part One or Two, which is smart because people hate the Harry Potter, you know, slash uh, Hunger Games Part One, Part Two. They're going to be two different stories that do lead into each other, but have a lot of different characters. And this hasn't really alleviated my concern or made it worse. It's still uh, unsure. I I think they'll just get better. I will throw out there, there there's no way Whedon was ever going to do more than two Avengers movies. But I have to say, in terms of the up-and-coming talent, in terms of young directors that have had success already with Marvel or will have success, like Ryan Coogler, who we'll get back to, I think James Gunn is actually more qualified to do a final Avengers movie than the Russos in terms of the epic scope and because of Thanos, because it's going to be a cosmic battle. So, you know, look at the Russos' trajectory. They start with street-level stuff that's all about Hydra. Really, Cap and the Winter Soldier are the only people with superpowers in that entire movie, which is part of what makes it great, right? And so they take down S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra. Then in this one, we get the big superhero battle. And then the final Avengers movies, we're going to get... All these cosmic characters, Thanos, the Guardians are going to come to Earth. We're going to have Captain Marvel, who's cosmic. We're going to have Black yeah, Panther Dr. involved. Strange. Doctor Strange, who's super cosmic. Um, and so um, uh, let's do, um, you know, really quickly looking forward, and then we'll get more into the nitty-gritty. Um, h- how do you think the Avengers franchise looks, Gabriel, kind of moving forward from this? And not just the Russos, but the studio in general and how things are, are lining up, setting up, uh, and so forth. Go ahead. Well, I just want to touch on one thing you uh, alluded to, just the Scarlet Witch vision relationship moving forward and how they both, you know, being the most weird, the most powerful characters. And now they both having to deal with coming to terms with when their power can go, you know, they can't control their power and end up hurting people unintentionally, you know, Scarlet Witch in Nigeria and, vision with 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 uh taking roadie down so you can see where like their their arcs are going to continue to progress along together and probably make their relationship even stronger moving forward um it's like grounded in 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 tragedy and to a, yeah let's have no i was just going to jump in quickly and say that you know, in the sense, if you believe that Vision was actually distracted. I, I'm on the team of thinking that there's no way Vision was distracted. And just from a screenwriting standpoint, if he 
was actually distracted and caused an accident, they wouldn't have the next scene where they bring it up again to make you question if it's true or not. Having Tony ask him what happened makes you go, oh, well, something did happen, no matter what he says now. So it's, it's, it's more like Vision, I think, made a choice to not end it right there and shoot, shoot down uh, War Machine, but also, I guess, in his mind, him knowing that he would survive. Not sure. For me, I interpreted that as, you know, Vision becoming more human than he had ever realized. You know, that he, you know, him holding Scarlet Witch and having that moment with Scarlet Witch saying that, like, oh, everything is falling apart. This is a, truly a catastrophe. And then, you know, that cloud that he wasn't even, you know, aware that he could be affected or moved that much emotionally that it affected his judgment. And, you know, Falcon did dodge, you know, it was, you know, and... I just interpreted it that way. That and that they had to I can read, see that. They, they, they brought it up that. again just to to emphasize that yeah, vision is you know coming into his own as as a synthetic you know organism and kind of you know really becoming more human. Um, I'm, I'm with it. <laughs> I think you changed my mind. <laughs> yeah, and this was I'll give a big uh, credit to Marcus and McFeely, the screenwriters. I kind of knew we weren't going to get as much vision in Scarlet Witch as I wanted because I love those characters from Ultron, but their you know building uh, you know budding relationship whatever that's going to look like was so compelling when it was on screen that it made up for lack of time with a lot of substance and uh, you know I, I, when I saw Ultron I didn't know that Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Uh, were together in the comics. I was sort of just beginning my comics research then. Um, the Bizzlecast was just getting started. I hadn't read the comics since the early 90s. I didn't know they were together. Or maybe it was subconscious. But if you just watch Ultron, you know nothing about the comics. It's so clear they're setting up that she's fascinated by him and then him sort of saving her in a Jesus-like way at the end of... Uh, uh, or, or I mean, like a Neo kind of way at the end of uh, of Ultron. Same thing. Yeah, same Geo, thing. Geo, Neo, Neo, Jesus. Uh, but, you know, they were they were clearly setting it up in the, in my um, commentary for that movie. I talk a lot about it, and then uh, you know later on, I turned out had to be like, I'm an idiot if I just knew anything about the comics. I knew that these <laughs> two were together and that this was planned. So I was happy to see them exploring this. They're going to be huge parts of Infinity War. And we will get to Black Panther and Spider-Man, but the characters that are still relatively new, like Vision and Scarlet Witch, because they're so powerful and they're new, and they still got you know movies on their contract, and because he has an Infinity Stone in his head, I, I hate to say it, how broken up is she going to be when Thanos kills the Vision to get the Infinity Stone out yeah. of his brain, right? I mean, this seems inevitable at this point, that the Cosmic War is going gonna, is gonna to kill, or, or at least change... Uh, change vision i think the scarlet witch will be in both of the avengers movies i think vision probably will as well um and so those are things i'm i'm definitely looking for and maybe a good way to bridge into the rest of the conversation now is to um you know say was this let me throw it to you gabriel would you say this was more closing a chapter or more opening a new one in, in this particular film i think it was more closing but looking forward and knowing the scale and the scope with which phase what four and other phases is going way more cosmic. I could see all this stuff kind of being not as important, you know, when, cause the, the stakes were so intimate in this movie, the stakes of, 
of friendship. Like, oh, well, will Tony, are they going to hurt each other? Will their friendship survive? Will they be on good terms with the government? You know, when, when you have an invading army, when Thanos, a threat from the cosmos comes and, you know, threatens to destroy reality as we know it, I could see all that stuff kind of falling to the side and be swallowed up by these, you know, massive stakes again. So, yeah, as soon as it ended, I was like, all right, well, you know, there's, there's this turmoil now, but the team's going to come back together. And that final scene with the, you know, the FedEx package saying, look, if, you know, if you need it, if you need us, if you need me, I'm there. That, uh, that, that cap loyalty and dedication. And I'm sure, you know, they're all going to have to come together when faced with, you know, the threats that are the, the infinity, infinity war. So, right, right. I, um, really quickly, <laughs> maybe we'll get back to this. <clears throat> um, so Daniel Bruhl, who played Zemo, classic case of another weak Marvel villain who is good just because the acting performance is so awesome, but makes zero sense. Um, you know, even Loki, everyone loves Tom Hiddleston. I love Tom Hiddleston. But if you look at the lines that he has on the page for the movies, there's not that much depth. Marvel still can't figure out how to get a Joker kind of level character, or I would argue even a Bane level character. And I'm not a big Dark Knight uh, uh, or, or um, Dark Knight trilogy guy, but there still seems to be a villain problem. And I need to take this opportunity, and then I'm going to pass it to Doa, to apologize to the Bizzlecast audience because I assured you in my um, recent uh, Captain America preview with uh, Matt Goisman, Matty G, a.k.a. Goose, I assured you that Baron Zemo would not be the Jesse Eisenberg of this movie, and I was wrong. It was the same exact thing as Lex Luthor and Batman v Superman. I don't know who's stealing whoa, from who, whoa, whoa, whoa. but just in, the sense, just in the sense of the bad guy's only purpose being to trick... W- guys who should be smarter than to fall for such a trick to fight against one another, especially two guys who are almost brothers at this point. Unlike Superman and Batman who didn't know each other, the ease, you know, and sort of omniscience that that Daniel Bruhl's, you know, complex ruse would result in Bucky and Cap fighting with Iron Man at the end uh, was... uh, I don't know, a deus ex machina? Does this fall into deus ex machina territory? It was a little much. I predicted that wasn't going to happen. The good news is that's not really what the movie was about in terms of Daniel Bruhl. It was about Cap and Tony, um, but I was a little dissatisfied um, with that whole arc and what it resulted in at the end. And with all of the action and the different kinds of action, that final battle, you know, there should have been... I don't know. I think there should have been more dialogue and less fighting in that battle. I think that would have been way more interesting. What do you think, Noah? I definitely agree. I feel that as a bad guy, there are so many reasons why he didn't make sense. Number one, he was just a guy. Yeah. Uh, he didn't have any special powers. How did and, and he wasn't even made out to be. He was like Lex Luthor if Lex Luthor was never explained to be smarter than everyone. Like you can sometimes give Lex credit because he's supposed to be the, like one of the smartest men in that universe. But in this, this is just some random guy. How did he trick everyone into getting him to be the therapist or what, you know, the psychologist. How does he make all these tricks to get where he is? Also, he's not Loki. He's not a trickster. So you can't even fall back on the fact that that's in his being. Um, And it just extended the movie so much. I I wish there was a way to actually, I think what would have been really interesting to see in the end to get a a little off topic is that would have been if they combined the reveal to Tony of War Machine uh, number one, this is what I think should have happened. War Machine should have died. And then right after that, Tony should have left there 
and then been revealed that his parents were killed by Bucky and he should have gone into rage mode in a way that was like a Tony we'd never seen before. Instead of like a cheeky rage mode, which we saw, he was still like even when we, he was revealed that his parents were killed by Bucky, it wasn't a cold, psychotic freak out because I feel like he should have a break. Especially with how the movie started with him giving the speech about how he feels he didn't say the right thing to his father. It's like this really should cause a psychological break more than what I feel we saw. And just really quickly, and Gabriel, I'm going to throw it back to you. Um, I wasn't alone in predicting that the Winter Soldier, you know, in fact, was the one who killed the Starks. I believe it is that way in the comic books. They definitely hinted incredibly strongly in the Winter Soldier when we're getting the whole Hydra um, reveal exposition during from, Zola, yeah, during from Zola. Zola. Talks, I mean, right. Kind of thing. Yeah, people yeah. might have to be eliminated, and then they show, yeah. you know, they show Stark, Stark, Howard Stark, and uh, yeah. Well, so, they do show yeah, Young. They do show yeah. Young Howard Stark. So that's a little bit of a kind of doesn't make you think about this movie because they have the uh, the young ha- actor. What's his name? I can't remember. Uh, Dominic who, Cooper. Dominic Cooper. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So uh, I, I can't say I was disappointed by it. It was the obvious turn, but I was disappointed by it because that's what triggered the final fight. I'm like, oh, this is going to be all about the Starks. And, you know, after Tony having been wrong about the Winter Soldier and specifically coming to terms with the fact that he had been wrong about the Winter Soldier and therefore also that the Winter Soldier has been controlled, you know, and then be, just because it's his parents. Um, but, you know, he, it's, it's the Tony Stark ego thing. I mean, you can really explain away all, everything he ever does is just being, you know, like m- m- megalomaniacally, you know, egotistical or whatever. Um, I, I don't know, Gabriel, how you felt. Um, we don't have to spend too much more time on the ending, you know, but just for, that whole for, reveal. Go ahead. For me, leaving the theater, like one of the things that stuck with me the most and I took away from it was the lines, he killed my mom, you know? And it wasn't, and, the, and I don't know, I've never had somebody kill my mom before, but I can imagine, like, you know, you, I don't care if he, if he was brainwashed. I don't give a damn if it's your homie, Bucky. Look, he killed my mom. He got to die. I can, I could, you know, I can, I can relate and and see where he was now. I just thought they could have done that in the middle of the movie, you know, and then built the the complexity from there because then the airport battle is even more of a smokescreen, you know, to the the real conflict, which is between Steve and Bucky against Tony. Um, But then you have, you have too, too many, you know, auxiliary characters. You have, you have Spider-Man there. You have all these people that aren't as invested. And then you already have black Panther who's motivated there by, you know, vengeance of, uh, for a killed parent. I think I just think you it- could have wrapped up, but all of that together, you could have had the, the, you could have had the reveal about the Starks that, and that could have been part of the airport battle along with the superhero st- registration act. And that's Tony's kind of playing both sides in that case. That was the same thing save time you could have wrapped it you and you still could have ended it with bucky and cap and, and iron man fighting against one you know another what? i'd never i'd never check my watch at any point during this movie no so no no the, i me, didn't care about the length yeah, from a time editing, standpoint but it just dragged for, a little bit at the end i thought for me it didn't and for so for me the airport scene and the final scene achieved two different things the airport scene was fun it was the you know, that comic book geek geek out moment that we've all wanted 
Spider-Man fighting Cap. You know, I'm from Queens. I'm from Brooklyn. Like, those little winks, those nods, that fun. You know, yeah, they're, we're not worried about them killing each other. We really don't want that. We just want to see this thing that we've always dreamed about happen. The third, the final fight scene is that gritty, dark visuals change. It's stormy. It's cold. It's darkness. Dude, with just, you know, and it's just really intimate. It's just three of them. Their relationship, Cap and Bucky going down that elevator together, talking about the old days, that bromance. You know, I was there um, with a good friend and she was like, you know, kiss. Like you can almost feel like, you know, it, it's about the importance of their their friendship. And then then Iron Man joins in and, you know, it's they him, Iron Man and Cap have a moment. It's good to see you again, Tony. I'm glad we can finally squash this and kind of be friends again. And then they all three of them go. And then, you know, Zola, Zola or no, no, I'm sorry, uh, Zemo merely like sets the arena for the betrayal and their friendship to be tried in like the most extreme way. You know, you kept the secret that you knew about what happened to my parents. Bucky's the one that did it. And the fight is really just a manifestation of, you know, them coming to terms with the dishonesty that they had. And and I, I don't know, for me, the emotional impact was there. The payoff was there. Um, yeah, I think you know, I think for I was, me I was there. I was invested. Yeah, for me it's it's again, you know, I spend so much time on these podcasts and research things and and you know, look up things and you know, look in some of the comics. I just I knew without knowing that the Bucky thing was going to be the, the cornerstone of the entire conflict. And the fact that they saved it till the end did make it work for me a little bit more because it's just the fact that they kept holding off on it. I was like, okay, maybe they're not going to do the Winter Soldier thing, e- even though they're so clearly telegraphing it with showing the car crash over and over and over yeah, and over they showed, again. They showed the car crash. The opening scene was the car crash. They showed it again in the middle. I think three times uh, three total. Times. Yeah. yeah, three times. So yeah, yeah. So um, so anyway, so again, this might be a case where if I had. You know, either not seen the Winter Soldier or not picked up on the Stark Winter Soldier connection in the Winter Soldier. If I had not known from the comics and heard other people hypothesize it, maybe it would have been, you know, more of a oh my gosh moment. But, you know, the reality for me is to take the other side is what makes movies rewatchable for me has almost nothing to do with the plot twists. Because once you learn the plot twists, you know, it's over. It's like The Usual Suspects. Why do people love The Usual Suspects so much? That movie should be a one-timer only. People love watching it, even though they know what's going to happen, because it's the build to the reveal that in the character stuff, that's more interesting. Um, so, um, <clears throat> do you guys have anything else on this? Because I, um, I have a good transition. Uh, Noah, jump in here. Well, I just wanted to ask you guys if you, what, how you guys feel about Steve's relation with Bucky, and if you think... (laughs) I'm wondering if you guys think that Steve should have given Bucky up, because in the end, you could... I can see a sane person falling on the side of this guy has done so much harm. Bucky falls on that side. He goes... They put him to sleep at the end. He says... That's almost like him agreeing with Tony that he shouldn't be there. No, he says it during the plane ride. Like, I don't know if I'm worth all this much, Steve. Yeah. you know, I, I you know, I did it. I did. I didn't. I didn't do it of free will, but I still did those things. Right. So, but that just that just galvanizes who Cap is. Like he's right. And you 
and he's clinging to Bucky because Bucky is all he has. You know, Peggy, Peggy dies. Mm. You know, that was the one thing that he was holding on to. He has to go to his funeral. The, you know, that, uh, age of 13, you know, and then, yeah. Love Sharon yeah. Carter. Woo! Yeah, that was yeah, great. Sharon, Sharon Carter from the grave is like is with Peggy. Her last words is, you know, Steve, you know, be stubborn and be yourself and don't give up, you know, no matter what. So, of course, I was you know, that's, up a little bit. Yeah, I was. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but you no know, Cap, Cap is not going to back down from this and not going to give up his friend because, you know, that's his that's like the only Bucky is like all he has left from his old life from, from what he knows. So yeah, you know, and it's, it's a hell of a situation who else can relate. And that's the whole point. Like nobody really knows what cap is going through, but Bucky and they've lived like parallel lives together, going through the of stasis, you know, and yeah, it's those, those old days talking about the juke joints and, you know, it's just they're friends, and their their friendship is a hundred years old. And you know, hey, I think they should have got into that more. Because I like your analysis; I think it's totally on point. But I don't think they ever had a good enough conversation, as as my memory is, I think, about the two of them needing each other in that way and the desperateness of Steve Nee. And they implied it with the wedding, and that's, or I mean, the funeral, and that's great filmmaking. But it would be really cool if they. Almost, and I almost want to see Steve getting terrified and pathetic about the idea of not having Bucky to the point where the audience is like, is he making decisions from a proper state of mind or not? You know, but at the end of the day, Bucky and Cap are men from the 1940s. You know, right. army guys, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, at their, their base, they, they're probably not even, you know, from an era where men could even express their emotions or really oh, express how they feel in that, you know. Huh. And it where it wasn't okay to really express yourself that way, you know? Yeah, there's so, that little moment where the, uh, they're getting off the plane at the end and, the, the, you know, they're talking about going to, uh, where are they going, Far Rockaway or something? Yeah, yeah, and, you know, riding a uh, freezer truck. and Riding a freezer yeah. truck and and they're talking about this girl, Dolores, and Bucky's like, man, she must be pushing 100. And Steve puts his hand on, on Bucky's shoulder and says, so are you, pal. Or so are we, pal. And but then he removes the hand from the shoulder very quickly. I think that's a really interesting question about old school like, masculinity. Yeah, yeah. And to translate that, like that—that's like nineteen forties bro talk. The translation of that is, <laughs> yeah. "I love you so much. I miss you so much. Yeah. Like let's never, let's never be apart again." You know? Yeah. I think yeah. that's what that's what they really wanted to say to each other. But they—I don't even think they really have the tools to even express like how deep their love is. You know? It, the chemistry of Cap, um, uh, Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon, and, and Bucky, so good in this movie. You could already sort of see the seeds of it in the first one, even though he was still psychotic Winter Soldier then. But the good news is, Anthony Mackie and uh, uh, Sebastian Stan, who, by the way, is the unsung hero of this movie. If you really look at the movie structure and what it's about dramatically and narratively and the acting that he was asked to do going between two different versions of Bucky, at least throughout the movie, I mean, it starts with him, it ends with him. Anyways, Stan and and Mackie will be back. It's not a coincidence, and maybe this will be a good bridge, it's not a coincidence that the Winter Soldier is being medically worked on in Wakanda. 
Um, and the fact that the mid credit scene is Bucky and Steve in Wakanda. And this happens in the comic books. This is exactly how it happens. Cap and Black Panther fight the first time they meet. In the comics, uh, Black Panther wins that fight, but they eventually become friends. And now, you know, Steve having the vibranium shield, and now he's been to Wakanda. He's one of the only non-Wakandans now to ever have been to Wakanda. I, I, we're definitely going to see Winter Soldier in Black Panther, I think. Um, and they found a way to get him there that was not just overly convenient. You know, they have the medical technology to maybe help him in a way that he can't be helped anywhere else in the world. And I think we might even get a Chris Evans appearance in that movie. I don't think it'll be a big one. Could be like Iron Man in uh, in Spider Man, but um, I, I just love how they they connected those threads. Um, at the end, and you you know it sounds weird, and this is me just like being a, a nerd. Vibranium weave, if you will, like a vibranium vibranium yeah. weave. Dude, he's gonna get a vibranium arm. Uh, Iron Man's gonna get a vibranium suit. I talked about this. The only way they can beat Thanos is by using all the advantages that we have here on Earth, and one of them's vibranium. When Thor hits Cap Shield in the first Avenger, Thor's the one who flies backwards. Okay. That's how strong Cap's shield is, and that's how strong Vibranium is. So I, I, I think that's going to be a big part um, uh, going on into the future. I'm just looking forward to Scarlet Witch getting the Vibranium extensions. Uh, those are going to be great, <laughs> whipping those around. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, um, I loved uh, Black Panther in this movie. Noah was a little so-so about it. I'll let him explain why in a second, but they're really structuring. I, I knew this was the case, but after having seen the movie, it, this is really the case. They're structuring a lot of Phase 3 around um, Black Panther, because if you look at the new characters, you've got Doctor Strange, who in the comic books is a member of the Illuminati and is connected to the superheroes, but is often doing his own things in other dimensions, you know, uh, that have nothing to do with sort of the main Avengers universe. And then you've got Captain Marvel, who also is a cosmic character, who I think is going to meet the Guardians of the Galaxy, as is the case in the comics. So of the three new characters, in Spider-Man's ground level, you know, Spider-Man goes in and out as an Avenger in the comics, but he's a ground level hero. So of all the main new characters or new properties being introduced, everything, I think, the way everything has gone through Captain America, essentially, from the time the first Avenger came out until now, it's going to start going through Black Panther, at least for the next few years. He, he's got the most powerful country, he's got the most powerful technology, he's got the most powerful materials, they're the smartest, they're the strongest. I think he has an Infinity Stone, or is going to get one, which is the case uh, in, the, in the comics that he has or has had an Infinity Stone and knows what it is and how to use it. He really bridges the cosmic with the, with, with the Earth-based in a way that no other character does. And so, you know, the fact that he didn't get quite as much screen time or fleshing out as I, as I maybe wanted to, I don't really care because they set it up perfectly. Um, Gabriel, I'm, let me throw this to you first about Black Panther, and then I'll let, I'll let Noah jump in. Because um, I think he's got a sort of a, compl- um, a, a complex um, a, a set of ideas about, about Black Panther's first appearance. So go ahead, Gabe. Well, I was pleased with it. The visually, the costume, fantastic. Love the way it looks, um, the lines of it, uh, the power that it evokes. It looked a little, a little CG for me in a lot of, a lot of areas, like uh, a couple of the chase scenes, um, more so than even Spider-Man. That was just, just my, 
my my take on it. But as a character, um, yeah, su- super strong. He he possessed that that regal quality. Him being a king, um, the arc, you know, gave you a li- little bit of depth. You know, he was mostly just following a, a basic revenge kind of uh, motivations until the, the very end, where he's just like, oh well, that's kind of stupid. But you know, it's, it was a nice introduction. It was a nice introduction. It didn't like I love the way these Marvel films can just introduce a character and not be bogged down with too much exposition or uh, really feel the need to do a whole origin story, you know, Black Panther. Oh yeah. He's the, he's the, you know, Prince of Wakanda. Oh wow. He's in a cat suit. Yeah. He, he must be, he must just know, he must have some vibranium costume. Like, they, you know, they, they, they don't really feel the need to really dwell on it. Like, Oh, well, you know, spend a whole bunch of time getting you up to date. They just trust yeah. you. Like, look, this guy's a badass. You know, roll with it, and you'll find out more later. Same thing like uh, wait, hold on, let me just jump in for one sec. Yeah, let's jump in. The CGI thing, I I can't really get behind because I can tell every single time it's CGI cap and so forth. You know, Iron Man's all CGI. They had a guy in the suit whenever it was like close-ups or actual fighting. Like that wasn't all CGI. I think it's almost like it's you look at the costume and it seems too easy to make CGI. So in your head you're going, oh my god, there's so much CGI. But there's a lot of CGI Captain America in all the movies, and this was no exception. Um, when he's getting his ass kicked. So that didn't bother me. Um, quick quick note, because I feel like it won't get mentioned if I, unless I bring it up. I love it when Marvel de-ages people, and they did it to Robert Downey Jr. in the yeah. beginning. So much fun oh, to watch is. them do that. Amazing tech. Well, actually, it was the opposite of, of Haley Atwell from The Winter Soldier as old Peggy Carter, where they aged her using CGI. Ant-Man. And, 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 uh, and Ant-Man, yeah. Um, yeah, Ant-Man. Uh, Michael Douglas. Yeah, yeah. Michael Douglas's de aging is creepy. It's so good. So uh, I, I actually like that Panther was there at the end because you have no idea why he's going. You're going, oh, he's just going to go after Bucky. But the reality is, he went to understand the situation. Black Panther, you realize at the very end, he went to Russia to watch this go down and just take it all in. You know, and if if anything, and as he says, you know. Uh, like Tony and them are, are are being driven by vengeance. Daniel Bruhl is being you know overtaken by vengeance, and I can't remember the exact line, but he's like, I, I refuse to you know uh, to to let this t- take me over. Um, what's that? The just to be a part of that cycle, right? The cycle of of hatred and revenge, and how he was so quickly able to not only forgive the Winter Soldier. Um, it wasn't his fault, well, I guess, he, at all. He, but yeah. he was going to kill Bucky. Like I, I think he was just. I think you know, he was going. I think, I think that was his default plan. But he was open minded enough because at that point there had been some intel that it hadn't been Bucky. That you know, and, and if anyone has access to that intel, it's Black Panther, um, or can get access to that intel. I think he knew there was more going on. Um, I think that's what they were going for. Maybe it didn't communicate. And it was important to establish that connection with Cap and Bucky, who are still going to be the center of all this. But for the for the Wakandan king to be really understand the subtlety of how complicated the world is in a way that you know even our favorite Avengers characters are not able to do, and you know being a king in, in an advanced African country surrounded by other African countries who are not so advanced and who are poor. I mean, he is from an environment. 
you know, on his continent or his region where he sees how complex the, the world really is um, in a way that the, you know, the, the American-based Avengers don't, don't necessarily um, ha- have an understanding of. I love the tease of Wakanda with the giant Black Panther statue. I got a huge nerd boner when I saw that. Um, so, uh, no. No, and just, just to jump in, I'm sorry. Yeah. To, but Yeah, jump in. Yeah, just now that you mention that, you know, you have parallel battles going on in that bunker where Iron Man is, you know, enraged. He killed, he killed my parents. I have to kill him for, you know, forget reason, forget. And then on the outside you have, you know, uh, T'Challa saying, all right, you did kill my father, but you know, I refuse to, to, you know, let this vengeance to overcome me. So you have, you know, two different reactions to the exact same circumstances. And it, it does elevate, uh, you know, Panther to, another plane of like wisdom and just, you know, yeah, that's, that's a little bit more, you know, depth of his character that I, I didn't even think about just that you have the same situation going on outside and inside where, you know, one guy's willing to spare the murder of his father, you know, even goes to prevent him from killing himself. And then you have, you know, Iron Man just totally given into, you know, one, one of revenge. And, you know, I don't know that, the name of the group is the Avengers. You know, I don't know. Maybe they're just living up to their yeah name thing. You know? Yeah, I'm going to pass it to Noah here. I just want to point out, you know, the Black Panther costume and, and fighting was great, but I love seeing T'Challa fight as T'Challa, the Winter Soldier. I mean, he was kicking the Winter Soldier's ass in that fight, even without the vibranium suit, and his fighting style was so cool. You know, it totally looked like if you mixed like an African fighting style with like a Japanese fight or a Chinese fighting style. I don't know how they came up with it. The way that Chadwick Boseman moved his body, that was so cool. We had to see that T'Challa could kick ass without the vibranium suit. You know that he's just that good of a fighter, and uh, it's actually clear how Bucky got away from him. I think he just the wall collapsed and he ran up to the helicopter, and then you had the the Steve with the helicopter moment, which is classic. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that was great that we got a good amount of T'Challa and it wasn't Black Panther and really quickly then passing it to Noah that they're not even trying to hide his identity that you know they they're saying we we want people to know that T'Challa is Black Panther and and, and vice versa so um, I'm gonna throw it to, to, to Noah on this one and then Gabriel you can jump in after if you want about about some more Panther go ahead Noah yeah I I definitely love for me Black Panther's fighting style saved a bunch of stuff that I thought was a little much for me I think it's a burden of the character that I invite, but they are going to have to prove that he is also the king of this nation. And it's, I need to see his advisors and stuff coming and saying, hey, you want to run the country uh, or just keep this vendetta going? I, I need more of of that happening. And I know we're going to save that for the solo movie, yeah. but in the beginning, I felt like it would have been nice even for just like one pass off of him saying like, passing it off to like a general or to an advisor um, well, while he did that. That's why he has the Dora Milaje who are the female super warriors who we saw one of where, he, you know, she, she threatens Black Widow and T'Challa's like, as much as I'd love to see this, you know, like we need to get out of here. So that's from the comics. His, you know, his, his main bodyguards are, are these super powerful, brilliant female warriors called the Dora Milaje. And then he's got the ring from his dad, the king's ring on his finger. They tried to sell it in subtle ways. I think they wanted to sell him as Panther, though, before King T'Challa. And then that's why we see him 
and dressed and acting more like a king at the very end of the mid the mid credit scene. Sorry, no, go ahead. Yeah, agreed that again, like I was saying, I I, I get that they got to wait to get give it in the solo movie. Uh, I think that's fair. It just took me a little out of it. His, I thought one of the most powerful scenes though for sure was uh, him him talking at the end to. Daniel to uh, uh, Daniel Brule, uh, to Brule. Zemo to Zemo, both of them just knock that scene out of the park, and it's so important for these Marvel movies to have these character-driven moments because if you don't have them, these movies could get boring really fast. Yeah, and, and you know, I'd love to start making comparisons between this and the and the 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 Whedon Avengers movies. And what's great about Ultron to me is that. You get great Cap stuff. You get hilarious Iron Man stuff. Thor gets way more to do in Ultron than in the first Avengers. And you're going, how are they going to work in everyone else? And they made Jeremy Renner the basically moral heart of the movie in terms of his family and his relationship with Genius. the twins. Genius. And he's also the one who turned the twins, basically. And he becomes a father figure to Elizabeth Olsen, which we see more of in this movie, acting like a father towards her, being very protective of her. And then you add the twins, who are amazing in Ultron. And then on top of that, you add the vision. And somehow that movie comes in at actually less time than this movie did. Uh, with all the new characters they added in here, I mean, look at look at who we've been talking about so far. Black Panther, new Ant Man was, you know, he's only had one movie, and we never saw him be as cool as you know he was in this battle. We haven't even talked about Spider Man, new character. Um, you know, we get we get more Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. You know, and this is a, it's supposed to be a Captain America and Iron Man movie, but I would argue there's like six or seven characters who are more interesting than those two in this movie. But I think that's a strength for Marvel, you know, is that they're able to build depth, as I said earlier, with Vision and Scarlet Witch. They're maybe on screen together for three or four minutes total, but they totally sell their their burgeoning relationship and how complicated it is, but how real it is. Um, So, yeah, what you were just saying, Noah, really made me um, uh, uh, think about that, that Marvel does this so well, and that, you know, I'll just throw this topic out there. I think we're ready for a slate of new characters. As much as I love the Avengers, the members of the Avengers, and we're going to get them. I mean, I think Ant-Man's going to be in Spider-Man. I mean, we're definitely going to keep getting crossovers, but... um, uh, the fact that we've got Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, new Spider-Man coming up. Well, we got we got Ragnarok. We got uh, we got Thor Ragnarok with uh, Tessa Thompson. Baby, is it Thor Ragnarok? Yeah. Oh, I can't believe it. That's gonna be awesome that's with Kate Blanchett and with with a Thor Hulk team up potentially. Dude, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Planet Hulk comics. I, have you seen them? I, I'm one of them. I no, have. I I'll I'll, thought- I'll take a picture of it. It's amazing. It's basically it's like Thor. Yeah, Thor's got a giant hammer. He's got, like, armor. It, it looks like Warcraft. He looks like one of the giant orcs from Warcraft. He's got, like, armor on his shoulder, like, gauntlets, like a hammer. Um, I don't know if they're going to do all that, but that's going to have a totally different feel as well. That, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out. I saw and, the, 80s, and Man- uh, the yeah. 80s Bill Bixby uh, Hulk. Yes. <laughs> the crossover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the yeah. day. And and Ant-Man and the Wasp is going to feel like a new property because we're going to get a fucking Evangeline Lily finally kicking ass. They teased it the whole first movie. I'm glad they greenlit it. I think Evangeline Lily as the Wasp was going to be awesome. And Ant-Man was such an origin story. One of the reasons I didn't love I'm sick of origin stories. And so I'm glad. I don't think we're going to get a classic Black Panther origin story. We've already gotten it. And I hope that's the case, that we just jump right into a conflict in Wakanda. 
Um, while we're on it, are you guys cool to rap on Black Panther for a couple minutes, and then maybe we'll jump to Spider-Man? Um, Gabriel, it seems too obvious, but I still think is, or should be the case, that the first Black Panther is going to be a straight-up imperialism story. Uh, what do you think about that? Just an, an invasion, an attempt like, to invade. Basically uh, like, like Avatar, like Avatar, but way cooler, more interesting, and politically relevant, and not offensive. And that'd be dope. That's kind of it would fill a void that's been been lacking in Hollywood. Just maybe, yeah, yeah. that 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 invasion story of colonialism from the African perspective, but with superheroes oh, that's that's badass <laughs> oh man um, yeah yeah i mean i think you know we you know the villain ulysses claw who's basically a south african mercenary who's been we saw we saw an ultron as a yeah uh, we saw an ultron um and then so i think that, that it's going to combine a, like a traditional imperialism story with um some MCU stuff, obviously. Of like, I think someone is going to be maybe manipulating even above Ulysses Claw. I could see Thanos again meddling, even if we don't see him trying to get the Infinity Stone from Black Panther. And keep in mind, Black Panther in February 2018 is three months before the Avengers: uh, Infinity War Part One. So that move, which I'm still going to call it that until we get the new titles. So Black Panther is directly setting up the Avengers finales. That is not a coincidence. Yeah. Um, well, I think it w- yeah. I think Black Panther would have been would have been sooner, but the Spider Man solo film pushed it back. Right, so, right, like, right. Well, it, it it pushed it back, but it still would have been the last one. It would have been in the fall of 2017. Um, I don't think they had anything else scheduled between that and the final one. But e- even if there had been something else, I still think Black Panther. As I'm saying, I, I think. Phase three, things are going to be going somewhat through Black Panther, and just in terms of the the, the main, um, you know, storyline, Doctor Strange is his own thing. Guardians of the Galaxy, for now at least, are their own thing. Captain Marvel, I'm not really sure. Um, Captain Marvel is actually coming out after the first Avengers: Infinity War. My guess is we see Carol Danvers in Infinity War Part One, and maybe sooner before she even gets her own movie. You know, we we may or may not get a Black Widow movie. I don't know. I don't really care. But we need to get a a full on female super superhero, as I call them. I mean, a super super superhero. I mean, you know, she's got Superman level powers and talents. Um, and so Black Panther and Captain Marvel. Um, are, are the two things uh, that I, I'm really looking forward to the most, even more than Doctor Strange and um, uh, Spider-Man. Any other? Um, uh, well, Noah, what do you think about the uh, the idea of doing a sort of uh, you know interesting but still in the classic mold imperialism type story with, with the first Black Panther being that it's in Africa and that they'll be persecuted not just for that but because they're powerful and they're rich and people are trying to get their stuff and so forth. I love it. I've been looking forward to this story since they announced Black Panther because kind of like what Jesse was saying, I was just hoping that it would. That it just seems the most likely to, to be that story. And the thing is, is about doing that story in an original way that's not heavy-handed. And I think Disney's going to have a hard time not avataring it, not making it a little too heavy-handed because that's just kind of Disney's writing style is being heavy-handed. Um which works in their favor most of the time, especially with these comic book movies, because comic books themselves, dialogue-wise, are very heavy-handed. But I, I still think it's going to be, and I'm a little bit of a cornball, but I think it's going to be a really powerful film, and I think it's going to 
come across uh, really well. Yeah, yeah I just want to – I think that's part of why they got Ryan Coogler because Coogler is not going to fall prey to this stuff, and there's no way Coogler agrees to it unless he gets some creative freedom. And if anything we can say about the Marvel Studios – uh, at least in the last few years, they they are giving these young directors a lot of creative freedom. By the way, I just want to point out that Ryan Coogler, as a 29-year-old, is actually the most experienced of any of the directors that Marvel has hired so far in terms of what they've done at the time of being hired. Now, Joss Whedon was well-known for television and for writing stuff, but Serenity was his only movie. That only made like $50 million. The Russos were from Community. They hadn't done shit. James Gunn did Slither and was, you know, people really respected him. He he hadn't done shit. Coogler's done two award-winning movies, including Creed, which made you know well over 150 million dollars worldwide. So you got a 29-year-old dude from Oakland, captaining what could be the next major franchise for Marvel in terms of new characters in a multi-part series, and he's actually the most experienced. I just think is interesting. They claim he was always the one they wanted. They announced it almost immediately after Creed was released and got you know great acclaim and so forth. And so I'm thinking. Ryan Coogler knows how to handle the the black white thing um, the way he did in Creed. You know the way to talk about race without having to talk about race always, if that makes sense. Any thoughts on that, Gabriel? In terms of Coogler's well, contribution, I don't know if he was the first choice. I know they they uh, the the woman that directed uh, Selma was originally in talks with Marvel to to direct Black Panther, and then maybe that fell through. But no, I'm I'm very excited about any anything Ryan. Ryan Coogler is going to be involved in moving forward. Just, um, yeah, he's, he, I mean, he's a little As too a old filmmaker. to be a prodigy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if he, whatever he comes out, I don't know if he drops a, he's been doing some, you know, throwing events, like, you know, political events and hosting talks and like on some, you know, activist, you know, Ted talk stuff. So he's really, he's a really interesting dude and well-rounded and, um, you know, going to be just a influential person moving forward. So, yeah, I'm a fan of his. Looking forward, I have the utmost confidence that he'll he'll be able to deliver something that's um, entertaining, fulfilling, and you know, just awesome. You know, what I mean? hey. that's uh, that's Cece the cat in the background there, Bizzlecast listeners. If you she wants to be on the podcast, I think she's excited about Black Panther. Um, <laughs> she kind of looks like Black corny Panther. joke, corny <laughs> joke. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so Black Panther will be cool. We're all looking forward to that. Um, okay, so let me. <laughs> Noah Noah's acting like young Peter Parker here. Um, uh, let let me preface the Spider Man conversation by saying, I never liked Spider Man growing up. I like the X Men, or it's on the opposite side of the spectrum in terms of tone. The annoying teenage persona of Peter Parker never appealed to me. I didn't really love any of the three original Spider-Man movies. Tobey Maguire was like 12 years older than he should have been to play the role. wasn't that compelling. I actually thought Andrew Garfield was fine. He just, again, was too old. Didn't really buy the high school thing. So I'm not a Spidey guy. And, you know, Tom Holland in this was sort of annoying, but he was annoying in the way Spider-Man's supposed to be, and being hilariously, you know. I mean, he kept saying the word awesome. I think he said awesome like a thousand times. That could get old after a while. I know people love Spider-Man, but goddamn, 
My favorite, if I just had to pick a scene that had nothing to do with the rest of the movie, really, the scene with Marissa Tomei, God bless her. Oh, my God, does she look great still. Robert Downey Jr. hitting on yeah, I, think Marvel, I think that Marvel the aging man had been at work. She looked a little too good. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> no, man. No, you can, see, you can see the lines on her face. She hasn't had any work done. She's very open about that. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact that they're setting up Robert Downey Jr. as a love interest for Aunt May. Marissa Tomei is the perfect, perfect actress to play that role. She can totally keep up with him from a dialogue and acting standpoint, and then some. And then his immediate chemistry with Tom Holland. I mean, I want to, I can't wait to own the movie just so I can watch the Robert Downey Jr. Spider-Man scene over and over and over again. The dialogue was amazing. I mean, I didn't know the Russos could even cut that fast. You know, those that, that those dialogue bits, everything. He's and they released a story that you know Iron Man's been uh, been following Spider Man, which was heavily implied that he's been sort of tracking Spider Man. You know, him being in New York all the time, he would have obviously known. And with all of Tony's riches and equipment, he can uh, keep track of them. That's going to be great. Um, I don't know, rock paper scissors. Which which of you two wants to go first on Spider Man? Gabriel, go for it. I love the interaction. I saw it this morning and just the delivery that when, uh, you know, Spider-Man webs him, his arms to the door and he's like, all right, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> just like so subtle and just like natural like, as if they'd known each other for years. And it was, you know, like normal, like, oh, he's always webbing me. Like, I, I don't know. It was, it was great to see. And um, yeah, just to introduce a character. And again, love that you know, no need for a real origin story. You know, Hey, do you stick on walls? He's like, no, it just happens. It's a long story. We don't need to get into it right now. Right. Love the way it was handled. That was Um, great. I'm so sick of origin stories. I'm so happy they're jumping right into it. You know, they didn't need a flashback and thank God he didn't explain his motivations with anything close to with great response, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. You know, it just came out in a very organic way. Like, you know, now that well, I have He's actually, he, there, even though he was technically on Team Iron Man, in the comics, he's on Team Cap. And he was constantly praising Cap, even during the fight. He salutes him. He's so excited to see Captain America. Spider-Man is the young teenage ground level Captain America in the comics. That just is oh, funnier. He, he's a grown so, In Civil War, he was, he was adult Peter Parker, though. Right, but what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is... You know, for for synergy reasons, it makes sense for him and Robert Downey Jr. to have a relationship going forward, and they set that up. I'm just saying, in terms of his morals, you know, his you said he didn't give the whole big speech, great power, great responsibility, but he basically said the Captain America version of "I don't like bullies, I don't care where they're from," right? The classic cap line. That's sort of yeah. how Spider-Man expressed it, but more low key even than that. I just wanted to back you up on that. That he is, even though he, I, I think there's going to be a lot of tension between him and Robert Downey Jr. Not least of which because he's going to be screwing Marissa Tomei, who plays his aunt, I think. Uh, or at least there'll be t- attention, so it'll be like a father figure that he respects but doesn't really want. They just set it up absolutely brilliantly. I, and I am just wanted to say, hell yeah, to your stressing the fact that they didn't do flashbacks or make a big thing. Go ahead, Gabriel. Oh, wait, and um, he got over Pepper. Marissa Tomei made him forget yeah. Pepper real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a you know, we we haven't seen Tony that spry all movie. He was, you know, looking yeah. all chipper, you know. 
Yeah, NFL. yeah. I mean, he's miserable the entire movie. And they set up yeah. in the very first scene, and this is what I will give them credit for, is this was a case where it was obvious that Robert Downey, or I'm sorry, that Tony Stark's personal unhappiness was causing at least half of this problem. Whereas Ultron, you know, they did a good job in Ultron of setting up that he was felt the responsibility to have to protect his friends and the entire world. But it, it, but in this movie, the stakes were, were personal, but even in ways I wasn't expecting. I wasn't expecting him to be broken up from Pepper Potts. I wasn't expecting him to still be dwelling on his parents and, and the fact that they did that in the beginning. I, but, the, you know, uh, well, I don't want to get too far off Spider-Man. So b- b- bookmark Sokovia and the fact that they had so much Sokovia in this movie that I didn't think they needed. Um, uh, you want to jump in anything on Spider-Man? Sure. Okay, here's Noah. Well, I'll just say my favorite scene from my favorite part of that scene too, just to keep throwing love on Peter Parker's Spider Man in this is just the the quick show of his really bad costume when it falls out of the ceiling and he just <laughs> chucks it into the closet. That's so well done. Such good comedic timing on that. And again, it's like it's almost and this might be reading into it too much, but it's like almost this throwing the origin story out out the door. You know, it's like not gonna get into that. Throwing it in the closet. <laughs> and I also think it's great um, that he doesn't say with great power comes great responsibility because he never says – he. I mean, yeah, at some point he does in the comic book. But Un- Uncle Ben says that. Right. Um, you know, and he remembers it. But that's not something a teenager says. And he gives that such a perfect – like you were saying, that teenager speech of why he's doing it. And he can't really word it right because he's young and he doesn't really know why he's just doing what he feels feels is right so that's that's my favorite thing with uh with peter parker and spider-man i just can't believe i didn't put it together ahead of time the marissa tomei the re- here's the thing they cast marissa tomei before they knew that robert downey jr was going to be in it but the second you see them sitting next to each other on the couch and him hitting on her it makes so much sense everyone's you know i, I mean Ever since Tomei was casted, people are like, wow, this is like the hottest Aunt May ever. You know, like she's younger, she's, you know, and now it's starting to make a lot of sense with Robert Downey Jr. And this is what Marvel does so well. They cast people who are talented, charismatic, and team players. And need a little work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, that was that was great. And uh, the one time that Tony was really smiling and, ha- and happy during during the movie, and I think his relationship with Peter Parker is going to be part of his sort of recovery. Because um, between Ultron and this movie, things in his life have not been going. Well, even uh, Iron Man, Iron Man three, you know, yeah. really, you know, de- dealt with you know him coming to terms with you know PTSD after being in the portal and do you think they're trying to, uh, they're trying to write out, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow or like she wants to be written out. Yeah. She's probably out doing hipster stuff and like, can't be bothered with. She's gooping and she's on her blog. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that it was just when you see in a script, someone talked about instead of someone shown being leaving the series, how they just said it. And it was kind of, it felt kind of weird it makes you think that she has to be written out. Yeah, it's interesting. Natalie Portman wanted out too, and she's not coming back either. And now they've killed Haley Atwell. So all the love interests of the big three. And then if you count Hulk, his relationship with Natasha is never going to happen. So that's four. So really, we it, and uh, 
The so really captain captain buck are the only real love story that <laughs> that endures no matter what. Yeah, I, I I you know I said before this movie that I thought the, the perfect final uh, cap movie if they do sort of a, a cap four sort of post you know all of this um, would be him and Emily Van Camp who I thought had good chemistry in Winter Soldier who definitely had good chemistry in this movie I thought. I think they could do a home movie of, of those two exploring their love interest, but also him, you know, looking back on his past and seeing what, you know, what he regrets and what he's proud of and the mistakes he's made and the choices he's made. And, of course, Bucky would be part of it and Sam Wilson. He needs to go on one last mission. But I, I sort of uh, make it akin to uh, The Wolverine from 2013, which really wasn't a great movie, but I just like that they did a standalone Wolverine story that was not at all connected to the wider universe. And I think you could totally do that with Cap Emily Van Camp and his and his crew of uh, his crew of buddies. Now we're now already Robert Downey Jr. says he wants to do a fourth and final Iron Man movie. Here's the thing: we'll see what the box office is so far. Um, I won't get too much into the numbers. Captain America: Civil War at the moment, um, both domestically and abroad, is performing slightly below Ultron, which is still amazing. I think it's going to end up hitting 1.2 billion, which is what I've been predicting, which is what Iron Man 3 was. Um, after being uh, um, out about 10 days um, in uh, foreign markets and just not even a full weekend uh, in domestic markets, they're at 366 million already worldwide. So this is going to pass Batman v Superman fairly quickly. Um, and then, but then it'll be okay if Batman v Superman's at 850 million and uh, Iron Man 3 was 1.2 you know where does where does cap 3 here um fall and so it, the, the extent to which the audience um loves versus likes this movie is really what's going to be the difference people don't appreciate the fact that the Joss Whedon humor is what makes those movies so rewatchable and that's how you get from 1 billion to 1.5 billion is people going to see Two, three, four times. That's how Star Wars got from 1.5 billion to 2 billion. Is all the rewatches. I'm not sure this movie is as, is as rewatchable. Um, uh, Noah, you want to jump in? Yeah, just to completely agree with that, you can't have rewatchability with a movie this dark. Um, I, obviously, we're all gonna see it a couple more times. Sure. But when you talk about someone going with their whole family to see this movie. They're not going to go, oh, my God, that was so much fun. Let's do it as next weekend's activity again. Just like, let's go again. It's because there's too much sadness in it. And that's not the movie's fault in any way. It needed to be what it was. It was called Civil War, for God's sakes. But it, it just is what it is. You know, some, some parts of an epic, long story, which this is, are not going to – if you think of it as one long movie, you know – this is not going to be the part of the epic story that is the MCU that you're going you're going to watch over and over and over again because it's dark. Yeah, I, I just really quickly, and then I'm gonna throw it to Gabriel on this. Um, the Winter Soldier was dark too, but it didn't have such a dark tone, and I think that's well. what's that. But it didn't do as well, right? No, but it became a cult movie. I mean, it made 714 million, which was very respectable. It was pretty much twice what Cap One made. Not as much as 
um, uh, Guardians or X-Men Days of Future Past, which came out in that year, but not far off. But Cap, since The Winter Soldier, has become so popular. I mean, you just see Cap shirts and hats and T-shirts of all ages, all genders, all ethnic groups, all over the place. Did you so, see any co- cosplaying in the theaters that you saw? At, uh... I had a couple people dressed up. you have anyone dressed up? Yeah, uh, I, no, I, have, I have not done that. Not you. Did oh, you see any, any, any yeah. 8, Eight a.m. was eight a.m. was early. You know, you got to be a real hardcore dude. <laughs> oh, at, I got you. I got a little off topic there. All right, yeah. No, I didn't see anyone at my showing just because it was a weirdo showing at eight a.m. IMAX, no three D. So it was just like it was it was a weird group of like fifteen people. Yeah, I guess what I was saying about the Winter Soldier. Uh, my argument is that that movie's more rewatchable. Um, because while the story is dark and the implications are dark, they maintain a little bit of a light tone just with the sort of flirty, funny relationship of uh, Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans, and then you throw Anthony Mackie into the mix. Um, and uh, maybe this is a good transition to talk about Anthony Mackie. He's he's one of those you know MVPs, uh, but not up front in this film. Uh, Gabriel, how, how did you feel about um, Anthony Mackie's performance in uh, Civil War? Yeah, I thought it was, you know, well-rounded. It gave him uh, a lot to do. You know, the, the first scene, he was kicking just as much ass as Cap. And, uh, you know, even his, I forget the name of his, his little drone. I mean, they were Red Wing. That was yeah, great. Was, like, those it, drones, that technology that he, uh, he was upgraded with became just an yeah, integral when, part of... When Red Wing uh, saves Scarlett Johansson... She goes, thanks, Sam. He goes, no, don't thank me. And she's like, I'm not thanking that thing. He's like, it has a yeah. name, Red Wing. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's awesome. Yeah, and the and the thing they did with his goggles, and I mean, he's almost Iron Man light at this point. He's got all these gadgets and, you know, x-ray vision for the wall. Yeah, the costume looks the sh- spectacular. Using the shield, as, uh, uh, the wings as armor, or, you know, really effective armor. And, uh, no, I love this character. And just to, again, bounce off of how, you know, the darkness that this movie is, Seeing Anthony Mackie in jail, beaten up, making references to mm. to Rodney King, or no, to the OJ trial. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like you have to, you gonna have to go Mark Furman on me to get me to talk. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Mom, no question. Who, who's Mark Furman? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, well, kids. Mark Furman was the you know, <laughs> he, 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 getting in, he getting into pretty dark territory there. So yeah, yeah like much darker movie. You got all all your heroes. You know, locked up in the in an underground, uh, underwater prison. You know, Ant Man is like some happy-go-lucky guy. Just you know, you don't want to see him like he's got a kid. You know, seeing just, uh, seeing Elizabeth Olsen strapped around like that was really yeah. sad. I mean, just the you look know? on her face. Oh my, she's like she did you not know? deserve that. Yeah, Hawkeye's got kids. You can't get visitation at the damn underwater. <laughs> you know, never it's like a million-dollar visitation. <laughs> Yeah. Just to get that thing up. And Tony even makes reference to it. Like, you got kids. You should have, you know, you should have fought on the law. And he's like, ah. I loved know. Renner in this movie. You can just give him anything. I mean, you know, it was great that he was the one to to, to round up the, the other players. The, you know, the Paul Rudd scene, which we had already seen before where he's in the van. But it's still funny. His relationship as Scarlet Witch, as I mentioned, is one of, I mean, that might be my favorite moment of Ultrad where he gives her the whole city is flying speech. You know, city's flying, got an army of robots, I got a bow and arrow. None <laughs> yeah. of this makes sense. <laughs> you know, that whole bit was, you know, 
And I, I loved how he was ripping into um, Tony Stark when he was in jail. Oh, the futurist. Oh, here comes the futurist. <laughs> he knows the future. That was, that was great. Uh, you know, Renner's not a young guy. He's well into his mid-40s, at least. I like how they play the fact that he's a slightly, quote-unquote, old man in terms of as the Avengers uh, go. Um, you know, I just love that these people keep agreeing to, to do these bit parts in the movie and that it feels, for the most part, organic. Um, let's. Uh, who else from the cast kind of jumped out at you? We can t- we talk about Falcon or, or, or um, no, other, other characters who jumped out at you in this one? Big parts or, or little? Gosh, I'm, I feel like I'm blanking a little bit. I think, you know, Paul Rudd oh. ha- had the highest, um, you know, batting average for time on screen. But that's just because he's hilarious. The best is when he's inside Tony's helmet, and Tony's like, whose voice is this? He's like, it's the voice of a conscience. You haven't been listening to me much lately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you guys explain the giant Ant-Man thing? I've only seen the original one once. I don't remember that being a power. It, how does he sustain yeah. being a giant a, like that? It's a power in the in the comic, he, the giant man. Um, I think he can sustain it for a long period, and in the comic, like he actually goes as giant man. Like he, you know, Hank Pym may stop shrinking for a while and just turns like a giant, um, in the comic books. But in the, in the first movie, no, he, he doesn't, he doesn't go giant. I believe they, he turns turn other things giant with the, with the right. discs. I don't think he they ever reference it, it that Michael Douglas tells him not to spin the dial or, or, or press the other, button i think there's something about that um yeah but also in the comic but i think it causes him some pain to go bigger if i recall correctly oh. uh, and they don't really get into that which is fine like he he was the comic relief let's not like put him through agonizing pain when he's at his like ridiculous size yeah i mean in some ways the ant-man uh uh, persona, character, property is even way more bizarre than Thor. You know, I mean, Thor, you can say, okay, yeah, he's some sort of demigod, but not really. He's just a really powerful alien who, uh, you know, Scandinavians thought is a god, you know, that kind of thing. Hulk, you can sort of understand. But the whole quantum physics side of Ant Man, you know, going into quantum zone or whatever they called it in the movie, is so cool. But it's actually cosmic. But Paul Rudd, I don't think, has any sense of uh, of the level of power that he has, and maybe that's going to be part of his of his arc going forward. Um, here, he's just helping his friends or people that he looks up to. Um, but the Ant Man powers make zero sense, even within the Marvel universe. And I just want to say this is a little off topic of this movie for sure, but. Paul Rudd was very much being the comic relief, one of the comic reliefs in this movie, and I thought that was great. I think the best comic relief of the entire MCU was Michael Pena in yes. Ant Man. So funny, yes. and I am just hoping that Michael comes back. I mean, he'll—I guarantee he'll be back for Ant Man: The Wasp. But it would be so cool to see him interacting with other superheroes and being totally out of place. I'd love to see him in anything. He's he's in much demand these days, is Michael Pena. Um, And he can play humor so many different ways. I mean, he was funny in The Martian, too, but in a completely different way. Um, You know, I mean, I I still think the the Robert Downey Jr. extended comedic bits uh, in the original Avengers movie, you know, when he's fighting Thor and on the helicarrier, you know, this man is playing Galaga, you know, those bits. 
are, are right up there too. Pena's hilarious. I got to bring him back. Paul Rudd did a great job with his his short time. Um, we got think- we got um, this is the see best war machine we've seen. Yeah, uh, in my opinion, just talking love- the, that that well, first scene when he's like, you know, this is good talking about the UN. And you know, that's dangerously arrogant, Cap. You know, like right. he he brought a real uh in terms of the argument, like fleshing out how, you know, for the general audience, like siding with the Sokovia Accords and you know, the how you know, even in the last scene when he's when he's paralyzed and he's just saying like why he made the decision to to do so i mean it was easy for cap like everybody understands cap loves bucky he's you know really really uh, red and white and blue america i want to be free but on the other side it was really um war machine that gave more depth and meaning behind why you know characters would go the other way that maybe weren't as you know invested as you know iron man and and cap um and that was that was important for the movie. I I'm happy you brought that up because I forgot about that, and that's so true. Those speeches that he was giving uh, about saying dangerously arrogant. That whole scene is War Machine John Cheadle at his best in the series. He's been a little left out to dry in a few of the movies. I mean, he's in them. He's big in Iron Man three, but it's it it, it never it, it never felt like Cheadle was shining like he could, and in this movie, he totally did. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little partial to uh, War Machine in Ultron just because I I love the Iron Man comics growing up and I love War Machine and Iron Man together in the comics growing up and in three Iron Man movies with Iron Patriot it never was really that cool but when he comes out from the helicarrier at the end when you don't expect it and he's got the machine gun on the shoulder just like in the comic books and him and Tony are are trading barbs you know and he is a, you know you, you think I can't hold my own if we get through this I'll hold your own <laughs> you know like uh, just I, you know I know it wasn't as much emotional depth here I agree this was in terms of Cheadle this was the most meat they gave him by far but you you knew going into the movie him having worked for the government in the past that he would be the most um, you know, uh, uh, pro, you know, signing these accords. I, I will say, I, what, what is great, you got someone like Robert Downey Jr., if you take out the Spider-Man stuff, he really didn't have a lot of comedy in the movie because he was just so fucking miserable. And so, I, I, you know, I think Robert Downey Jr. has comedic mode and drama mode. And when he's in comedic mode, which is most of the Avengers movies, he can still pull the drama out. You know, we are not soldiers. Like he can pull that stuff out. He was definitely came. In, he definitely came into this with drama mode. And uh, you know, I think one of the iconic images is, you know, so uh, William Hurt as the uh, Secretary of State comes to the Avengers facility, and you've got all the current new Avengers sitting around the table, and he's explaining about the Sokovia Accords and and all the reasons it needs to happen. And Robert Downey Jr. is sitting away from the table on the side slouched in the chair with his hand like half over his eyes just being like uh, i'm so unhappy right now i don't want this you know i don't want to be involved with this like i'm supporting it and i'm going to support it i'm going to try and pressure my friends into supporting it but i just wish this wasn't an issue i you know i it's it's little things like that you know he's just so he's so fucking talented i don't know what you do with him going forward um i'm trying to think if there are any other um characters that we we really missed um 
you know, again, I just want to stress, I thought Sebastian Stan was amazing in this movie. He's had to be so subtle through three movies. And I actually forgot, I, I rewatched Cap 1 recently, the first Avenger. I forgot that he was experimented on relatively early in the first movie. And so I'd always remembered in the first movie a lot of, like, you know, innocent, you know, naive Bucky um, and, and Steve before he became, you know, Cap. Um, but th- there really wasn't that much. He just, he sells, Sebastian Stan, that is, sells so much with his screen time. But what's great is if you see him, like, in real life interviewed, he's super funny and quirky and charismatic, which makes me think that he could take up the shield if he has to, um, which happens in the comics, that Bucky becomes Captain America. I, I don't know if they'll if they'll do that. Um, so really quickly, uh where do you I'll start with you Gabriel where do you see the winter soldier going forward now that he's in the ice in Wakanda well I mean he's what Sebastian Stan has a, a nine picture deal so yeah. I mean, he's, he's a nine picture deal he's been in three if you don't count around. Ant-Man yeah um, I don't see him I mean he's in stasis I see him probably I don't know where he would fit in in an infinity war you know, just much like in the comic book like i and it's been a while since, I mean, I remember the Infinity Gauntlet saga when it happened. I don't believe, you know, Winter Soldier was a part of that. Like, I don't see where he would fit in on a cosmic level, like with the Guardians and the, on that level. But definitely down the line, I could see them doing that story arc where Cap dies and he picks up the mantle. Um, yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. Except that nobody dies ever. No, I can, I can see. I think Cap could, you know, comic book die. Maybe they'll. Maybe he'll die. Who would you have and, killed in this movie, Gabriel? If you had to pick I mean, one of the characters, who would you have killed? You could have had. You could have had War Machine actually. Yeah. Actually take that. Take that out. Yeah. I hate to say because I love Cheeto and I love War Machine, but he's the most expendable. Yeah, he's basically, you know, he's like a bootleg Iron Man, you know, his power is, you know, just a guy in yeah. a suit. You can get another guy to, in a suit, you know, so, yeah. They could they could have flipped the Winter Soldier and Wakanda thing and, ki- and quote-unquote killed Cap, and then Black Panther, you know, gets away with Cap's body, and, and they're able to recover him or something, you know, or that that I could have seen, like a fake Cap death, but they just did that with Superman, and you know, which was horrible, and Batman v Superman. By the way, uh, let's sidebar a little bit here uh, on some related topics, and then we'll we'll head towards the conclusion. I haven't talked with either of you about this, Gabriel. Maybe we did a little bit. What did you guys th- think of Batman v Superman, Gabe? Did we talk about this? Um, briefly. I mean, I just I called you a little bit of a player here. Just I thought you and and Matt were kind of reveling in the the, the relative financial failure or if you want to call it at the long-term financial yeah reveling that. was not what we were going for <laughs> we, we we were both rooting for that movie if you listen to our other podcasts we wanted that movie to be good and financially successful but it, it was almost like therapeutic for us to have to rip it for three hours because of how poorly it was done from from top to bottom um so i'm guessing you didn't hate it obviously yeah, Gabe. you know what there were parts of it that i hated but there were parts of it that I I genuinely I enjoyed. I mean the the one Batman fight scene, it was the Batman as you know world's best martial artist. Like the depiction that was one of the main areas with the Nolan films. Hell, all the all the movies. I mean the Tim Burton Batman. He could he could barely turn his neck. He was real stiff in the costume and no real 
you know, nothing else. Like, yo, Batman is a ninja. He studied everything. I mean, this, this, so for that cinematic live action, Batman as world's best martial artist made the movie. I'm glad it, it can exist for that reason alone. I had to suffer through so much to get there, but I don't Well, I think discussing Batman vs. Superman <laughs> is dirtying this analysis of a wonderful <laughs> film. But there are similarities in there, released. Hundred yeah. percent. Definitely. Um I God, I didn't like that movie. Yeah. Um it always com- what always comes back to me is the end where it's like, so he's not dead. Why do we kill him? If he's not dead. Yeah. I, I, you know, I hadn't actually seen Man of Steel until a couple months before the movie. And my buddy, uh, um, Matt Goisman, who I've done a lot of podcasts with, who's a big DC guy, that was part of the reason, Gabriel, we wanted to rip it is because he loves Batman and Superman <coughs> DC stuff. And he's just so disappointed and upset. So we did a Man of Steel commentary a couple months before the movie. And I, I actually liked Man of Steel better than I thought I was going to. And then after Batman v Superman, I was like, I definitely like this movie better uh, than I thought. At least there was some, there was some imagery, there's some iconic imagery in, in the Man of Steel and, and, and stuff and that you could hang your hat on. The music was way better. Um, you know, the supporting characters like Russell Crowe and so forth were better. Amy Adams was much better written for as Lois Lane in that movie. Um, it was just a hot mess in Batman v Superman. I mean, Civil War may have dragged a little bit at the end, but there was no major scenes that I would, you know, complain o- overall or say were completely unnecessary in Civil War. Um, whereas Batman v Superman, the main things I, I remember are Batman fighting, yes, and, you know, the Capitol blowing up for no particular reason. I don't even remember the Batman-Superman fight. And Doomsday is such a horribly rendered CGI creature um the acting was wooden there was no life there was no likability i won't go on for too much longer i was just curious about what what your guys opinions were in that movie um but i will say and i'll pivot here i i think that the fact that civil war is a little heavier than maybe we thought is going to help x-men apocalypse i think by the time apocalypse comes out in three weeks people are gonna be ready for a colorful fun non-political Smackdown drag out fight with just super cool stylized mutant fighting, a ton of young characters. That's the thing that X Men actually has over Marvel at the moment is having a lot of Spider Man age characters. Like the kids who are the young X Men in this coming movie are at Tom Holland's age at most, some are even younger. Um, and then you've got, you know, young stars like Sophie Turner as Jean Grey, you know, people are going to be into that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I always thought Apocalypse would get crushed in the box office by Batman v Superman and Cap just because of the properties, but it's possible that if Cap doesn't make as much as they think, and, and, and you know, and after the superfans see it, the rewatchability's not there, um, I don't know, um, Again, this is a little bit of sidebarring. I like to do this sort of, you know, before the conclusion. Uh, Gabriel, are you excited at all for X-Men Apocalypse? Or are you just done with comic book movies at this point? No, I mean, I'm excited to see it. The Apocalypse as a villain was, you know, one of the... Yeah, just from the cartoon, from the comic books. It's something I wanted to see in live action. Um, I mean, I'm always excited for the X-Men. I do do love the X-Men. 
does it look like it's going to be fun necessarily? Nah, I don't, I don't, you know, it looks very dark. The visuals, the tones are look really gray, you know, epic scenes of destruction, entire cities being, you know, blown away in like storms. And, um, I mean, yeah, it looks, I mean, it, they have it the apocalyptic very... imagery uh, for sure. And it's going to be dark in that sense. But I mean, the color palette, you know, in terms of the actual mutants and, you know, like Storm fighting Cyclops or, Cycl- you know, Psylocke cutting cars apart with her, her psionic blade. Um, we're getting Wolverine, you know. Uh, I, I, it just in terms of the powers, I think it's going to, we're going to get multiple fights like the airport fight. But no. they're going to be, but 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 they're going to be more organic. They're going to be a little bit smaller scale, but they're going to be more organic, um, and just have so many new superpowers. That's the thing. We already knew everyone's superpowers going into the Civil War airport fight, right? There are still some X Men. I mean, I know all their powers because I grew up reading X Men. But if you don't, you know, you'd be surprised by Nightcrawler. You'll be surprised by we're going to see some Jean Grey. I mean, they only teased Famke Jensen's. Uh, Jean Grey powers in the early movies. We're gonna see like direct Jean Grey stuff going on. You know, um, I, I I don't know. I, I think that you know Brian Singer is still the the best of the three of the the, the directors of the three big team up movies. Brian Singer is still the best uh, in my book. Just in he terms did direct. Of, he did direct Superman Returns though. Uh, just to throw that out there. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Yes, but I will say, I, although I've not seen that, my friend Matt Goisman, who's a DC nerd, actually thinks that movie's decent and thinks that is way, way, way better than decent as homage, homage to the homage to the Christopher yeah. Reeves. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a straight up nah, impression of Christopher Reeves. I, well, I hated that. I hated that movie. Fair enough. Fair enough. But every time Brian Singer does an X Men movie, it's fucking good. And it's fucking good in a different <laughs> way. And the tone uh, of this is going to be so different from Days of Future Past. Um, again, I'm biased being an X-Men guy, but you know, again, when I say it's going to be fun, it's just in the sense of we're not going to have to talk about political and ethical issues, you know, which have been a little overdone in these last two team up movies, you know, I mean, there will be ethical issues, but you know what I'm saying? It's not going to be preachy or heavy handed, which is funny because in the comics, X-Men is the preachy and heavy handed comic book. But I think in this case, Brian Singer is saying, fuck it. Let's just have a, you know, when apocalypse is the bad guy, that's all they're going to be focused on is taking down Apocalypse, which which I think is great. We've had so many mutant registration type movies. It's time it's time for us X Men fans to finally get the just a straight up brawl. I guess X Men Last Stand was supposed to be like this, but it was just a terrible movie. I'll stop talking. Noah, thoughts on the upcoming X Men movie, and then we'll move into the final uh, sector here. I think that Brian Singer. Uh, has just nailed the X-Men series. I even think X-Men 3 is not that bad. Well, he didn't direct that. Oh, he didn't direct that. That's Brett, Brett no. Ratner. Brett Ratner, yeah. Well, that's crazy that Brett was able to make a movie that I think is okay. Yeah. And he also didn't direct First Class either. Let's make sure. Which kind of laid the groundwork for, you know, Days of Future Past and looks like yeah, this true. one too. True, although at the same oh, no, time... Did. Sorry, he did do story and executive producer on First Class. It was Matthew Vaughn who directed it, but Singer co-wrote it. So, Right, and I think that um, Days of Future Past was just spectacular. Just probably actually my favorite comic book movie, even though I'm such an MCU geek like 20th Century Fox has been able to pull off X-Men for years and they keep doing it. 
And I think another thing Apocalypse has going for it are, is that the foreign markets love X-Men. The X-Men, as I mentioned before, the foreign domestic split with X-Men is always the most heavy in the foreign area. The fact that X-Men Days of Future Past beat Cap uh, Winter Soldier by like a lot, by like $40 million, that was all from overseas stuff. You know, they get like 75% overseas. So even if Americans get a little tired of the comic book movies, I, I'm still thinking they're, they're going to do well. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen a Brian Singer X-Men movie I didn't love. And Days of Future Past is like a fine wine. It just gets better with age. It, it took me a while to really warm up to it. But it's so refreshing because there's so little superpower stuff that actually goes on in it. And the opening fight scene is one of the best fight scenes. And closing. closing, And the opening fight scene, the use of their powers and how well it's shot is phenomenal. Jumping through the uh, portals, portals, that whole fight is just tragic and beautiful, amazing. And here's the other... uh, thing that is the Deadpool connection. Now, your average moviegoer won't connect Deadpool and the X-Men if they don't already know. They might not even know it's from the same company or in the same universe. And Deadpool was successful for being the opposite of all these other movies and making fun of them. But with marketing synergy, I'm telling you, the Blu-ray for Deadpool is coming out. There's going to be a ton of X-Men Apocalypse stuff there. They're going to have Ryan Reynolds pimping the shit out of that movie. Um, and if his popularity as, as a actor and a character can bring some of that Deadpool momentum, um, you know, that's just one more thing that they, uh, they have going for them. And, uh, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see when the dust settles, what, what, what we think about these, um, these, uh, these movies looking at one another. So I want to do a, a wrap up on civil war really quickly though, while I have you two. I hope you guys will come on again um, very soon, but we are entering summer movie season, and so I wanted to ask each of you one or two movies, um, not in the comic book world, uh, they could be nerdy movies, they could be animated movies, they could be anything, uh, why, what are you laughing at? <laughs> I've just been so focused on comic movies that I'm just, don't even know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I, I have a couple that I'm looking forward to. Um, I think Noah's going to agree on both of my choices, so I'm going to let you guys go first. Gabriel, a couple movies that you're looking forward to this summer? Any type? Honestly, I, I don't know if my trailer game has been faulty. I really can't. I, you know, uh, we got Apocalypse coming up. I'm excited. Do you want me to, do you want me to just name, I, yeah, n- I, name a I bunch? Really, oh. I really don't know of any, any really big... Uh, what, Ghostbusters, that looks terrible. Uh, what else? Uh, the Nice Guys. I'm really looking forward to that. The Shane Black movie with um, Russell Crowe and uh, Ryan Goslin. Shane Black, who directed Iron Man 3. So it still counts, though. <laughs> it still counts as a no, non-comic movie. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm saying big thumbs up. Yeah. The trailer for that movie looks fucking phenomenal. All right, so I'm just, I'm just, I'll just read off a bunch, and, and you guys can jump in. Or or I'll jump in. Um, so uh, the Angry Birds movie on May twentieth, I think, is going to be the biggest flop, um, perhaps, of the summer. Um, you got X Men Apocalypse in June. You got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which somehow okay. looks entertaining. I didn't even I mean, see yeah. the last one. I mean, it's got it's a fulfillment of a lot of childhood dreams. You got Krang. You got Rocksteady and Bebop. I got a young nephew who's, who's obsessed with turtles, so I, I definitely. I'll be 
obligated to go see that. So yeah. the one that I'm the only one on the planet looking forward to, and, and Noah's going to dislike this movie because, well, well, we'll talk about Duncan Jones, the director, which is Warcraft on June 10th. I know people haven't been liking the special effects. I've heard that they've been holding back on it. The newer clips look a lot better. I've heard this is one of those you have to see in 3D movies. It looks way better. I don't do 3D movies. I may break my streak for this. But Duncan Jones is one of my favorite up-and-coming directors. I mean, yeah, you know, Moon, Moon and Source Code are, are two of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. So That's true. That's, that's true. Those are great movies. So, yeah, I guess just because I knew Noah was a Duncan Jones guy. We've talked – we had a long Source Code uh, quantum physics discussion a, <laughs> a while back. Um, then you got Independence Day Resurgence. We'll get there. Independence Day Resurgence, which I'm guessing the budget on this, they're not going to tell us, is probably like three to $400 million. Um, nah. Oh, yeah. Have you seen the trailer? It's ridiculous. Yeah, you, know, you get a bunch of guys in the lab. They can, they can – Okay. <laughs> well, okay, keep keep in mind this. A, 20 years ago when Independence Day was released, it made $600 million domestically in 20-year-old dollars. That movie's released today. It's $3 billion. So, you know, no Will Smith. They're making Jeff Goldblum the, the lead character. I don't see how this works. The young guys that they got look like the young guys from Hunger Games, meaning no talent <laughs> or, or uh, you know, charisma. Um, any way Independence Day doesn't bomb Gabriel or Noah? I mean, you have to know what that budget is like. You're saying 400 million. Yeah, but it might bomb at 400 million dollar budget, but, uh, 50, 180 up to like 180 million. I can see that, you know, I see it earning probably, you know, doing over a hundred, I could see it doing over a hundred million first first weekend you know low 100 100 million and then a, uh that would be a bomb <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate to say. yeah i mean it 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 where is will just don't make it <laughs> without will right. well we'll move on Noah, we talk about oh i want to get into my i'm such a steven spielberg fanboy so i'm in a big way looking forward to the bfg even though i'm normally not a kids movie guy Spielberg ends up turning kids' movies into more like family movies, which is more acceptable. Um, I've only seen the the tiny teaser trailer for it, which I, I thought is all that's out, but looks like there might be a new one out online. But yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with Spielberg, You're wrong, except twice. Or, or Ronald Dahl, even though he was a Jew hater, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were, you, were you a Roald Dahl guy uh, growing up, uh, uh, Gabriel? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What was the other one? James and the Giant Peach. So much. Um, there's a million. I saw the Tarzan uh, trailer. Uh, Is he Willy Wonka? A couple nights ago. Uh, no, he wasn't Willy Wonka. Uh, the Tarzan one looks okay. I mean, at least from a, a graphic standpoint. And Margot Robbie, man, I could just look at her all day. I don't. Oh. How do we not even talk about Suicide Squad? Well, you oh, we're, well, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're about to get to Suicide Squad. I have okay. two I have two quick ones. Or uh, July eighth, The Secret Life of Pets. Also, not a big kids uh, film guy myself. I'm not into the CGI thing with Pixar and the Pixar. But the Secret Life of Pets trailer, I've seen 
numerous times with numerous audiences, numerous movies, and it kills every single time. People are laughing their asses off. I, I think that is going to make a ton of money. So bookmark that, Bizzlecast, friends, uh, Bizzlecast listener, Secret Life of Pets. Right, everyone seems to think Ghostbusters kind of sucks, so I'll skip that. I actually think the new Star Trek movie could be good. Could be. Just the fact that Simon Pegg's writing it, and everyone's, you know, like, as, as uh, Matty G calls it, Star Fast Trek Furious, because it's being directed <laughs> by Justin Lin and his entire production company. But isn't it interesting, if you look at the Star Trek reboots, and then you look at Star Wars Force Awakens, Star Trek has gone from the slow-moving property to, like, you know, non-stop... I mean, the, the Star Trek movies move faster than Star Wars moves, you know, which you never even... You would never think. And this one seems to be moving even faster. I don't know if July 22nd, it's going to do much. You got the new Bourne movie, July 29th. I love Jason Bourne, and I'm so excited to see Matt Damon back in it with Green Grass. It's going to be phenomenal. I know it's going to be phenomenal. And you got Tommy Lee Jones. You got Tommy Lee. Yeah, you got Tommy Lee Jones channeling the fugitive a little bit. It looks exactly like his character from the fugitive, which is fine. I love Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Uh, And um, I actually am a fan of uh, what's her face, his love interest slash Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles. I love Julia Julia Stiles. Um. So okay. Ben Hur will actually be the biggest bomb. Yeah, I think Ben Hur looks so bad. Okay, so I have two. I only have two more, um, and then we'll we'll do Civil War wrap up. The, the first one, and I know Gabriel's going to be excited about this. Is Suicide Squad on August fifth? Go ahead, Gabriel. Yeah, the trailers trailers look awesome. Uh, what else? The reshoots. Like they're doing reshoots to make it. Yeah. Yeah, more yeah, yeah, like yeah. The trailer to add more, more humor. Dude, more just fun. the fact that they had to do comedy, resh- comedy bit reshoots because of how poorly Superman uh, v Batman tracked in terms of its, you know, com- total lack of comedy or humanity makes me nervous. It's one thing to reshoot action scenes or you know do ADR or have to redo dialogue and do it. It's that kind of thing. But if you're specifically rewriting the script to be funnier under pressure. I mean, Noah, you can speak to this being a film, uh, a, a screenwriter. If they're like, okay, by the way, you have two weeks to completely redo the script and make it funnier. Tell us a little bit about, about that process. So that would be the worst thing you could like ask the, the main writer to do. The question is that they bring in a comedy writer to do it. And I'll give them credit. If they brought in a comedy writer to do this, they could pump that out in two weeks, no problem. That's what you have for, for higher screenwriters in LA to do is to do things like this. And it's not a new thing to have someone come in and punch up the jokes in a script. It's pretty regular. It's just the fact that they were like so deep into production already. I'm really looking forward to Suicide Squad. I think Jared Leto's Joker looks phenomenal. I love that it's a new interpretation. I I think Will Smith looks so sad in this movie and I, I want to see sad Will Smith. <laughs> So, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think Harlequin looks irritating for sure. Uh, I think for, for me, Margot Robbie is the one thing that's making me excited <laughs> about this. She, she, she looks like Anne Hathaway in, the, in, that, in that makeup, which is bizarre because they don't look anything like each other in real life. She seems like the only comedy they had, and then they decided they needed more. I think she's a great up-and-coming actress. This will either be a coming-out party or a not-coming-out party for her if the movie bombs, because they're billing her as the main, as the lead, essentially, even over Will Smith. Uh, thoughts, Gabriel? 
I, I don't know how Boomerang Man can't, can't be played for last. <laughs> <laughs> you hate Ty Courtney. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hate him, but I mean, he's, he's Boomerang Man. I mean, he's, he's Australian. He's, I could see you could mine a bunch of jokes out of that. He's already, they have a Boomerang Man on the Flash uh, TV series already. Uh, and that's the thing about DC is that they're, is that they're recasting? What's that? Oh, he go go go. Um, oh, Captain Boomerang. I'm sorry, his name is Cap- Captain. Captain Boomerang. Boomerang. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's the thing about the DC universe. They have these parallel universes on TV, and then on the big screen, and so they're double casting everybody essentially, you know. And now we're getting the third Joker, you know. And uh, I think Marvel seems to have a better model of having you know tv properties the netflix properties and film properties and not recasting and does this have, does that make sense i mean maybe it won't matter in a movie like this if it's if it's just funny and fun no yeah it makes i mean it doesn't make i don't think it makes sense to go about what they're doing where you have you know actors that are beloved in the roles as flash as green arrow you know and then then to i mean well i mean why would you and then to get actors that aren't necessarily household names to play them. And I see if there were, you know, big upgrades in the, in the prestige of the, of the actors, but to get, you know, I don't, I don't even know who's uh, the, the, the new uh, flash. Like he's not a person that, that I'm really familiar with. His well, body they actually, work. they pulled the movie because the Grant Gustin, who plays the flash is excellent on TV. Even the, the show's so, so, He's great, and they just weren't happy with the Ezra Miller project, so they've indefinitely shelved The Flash, who we got to see briefly on the television screen for like two seconds of Batman v Superman. We'll see about Suicide Squad. Again, I'm not anti-DC. I'm open to this. I want this to be good. I want this to be different. The idea of Suicide Squad, again, they've done it on TV. Who cares? It's a great idea. Viola Davis could hold that together by herself, at least for the first part of the movie. Um uh, and uh, but it's gonna come down to Will Smith and Marco Robbie. All right, man, I got two more. Um, both from the Disney side of things. Uh, and then we'll do final thoughts on, on Civil War. Um, I'm gonna save the the the, the one uh the Marvel one, so, uh, even though it's more recent. So I'll start with Rogue One, the St- Star Wars standalone. I think the trailer looks awesome. It's darker. It's in the old school, original trilogy universe. Felicity Jones looks like a total sexy badass. It's got Forrest Whitaker as a very complicated character. And Mads Mikkelsen, who is amazing sleeper actor, who I think is going to just like, just start becoming a go-to, yeah. Yeah. And he he looks so. Uh, he, I I know he's gonna be amazing. He's such a good crazy person. He if you haven't seen Hannibal, anyone out there watch the show Hannibal. It's what he is really amazing in. Yeah, I mean just the way they shoot the the uh, AT walkers with like shaky cam from ground level with the rebels. It, it just looks so cool. Gabriel, have you seen the trailer? Oh yeah, yeah. Really excited about uh, Donnie Yen. You know, being every every time he's in a a movie on and that's released in the states so i get excited oh is he the guy with the the big guy with the really big gun in the no, trailer he's the he's the stick he does some martial arts knocks out a couple stormtroopers yeah he's in a lot he's in a lot of hong kong action movies he was like most uh, prominently uh, he's, he's known for um like the it man series of movies okay um but yeah, yeah he was I'm, big in the 
like a lot of the wire foo uh movies of you know you and Wu-Ping directed wire foo stuff in like the 90s and um yeah he but and Jet Li he, were he and Jet Li were all over that yeah so you know excited to see him and more stuff he was in also he was in Blade 2 you got to watch Blade 2 <laughs> I was born ready <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a great posting on my Facebook page, by the way. Um, I just like that they are going to be able to do these standalone stories where they're not going to expect to make $2 billion, where they expect to make one or 1.2, have it be darker and not so much a family movie. Although I will say from everything I've heard with Ryan Johnson directing episode eight, you guys know who Ryan Johnson is? He did Looper, right? He did Looper, but he also wrote and directed some of the best late season Breaking Bad episodes. Apparently, episode eight is going to be dark and weird, is how they're describing it. And man, if you follow uh, Daisy Ridley or and or John Boyega on Facebook, which I do, at the top of my feed, their their posts are hilarious. They're constantly posting themselves working out, and they are just jacked. I mean, you look Daisy Ridley. I mean, she still looks so cute, and you know, but she's just jacked. And you see them like training through the lightsaber battle. So it's going to be more action packed. You know, I, I think The Force Awakens is going to end up being not the weakest, but just the, you know, maybe, well, yeah, maybe the weakest of, of, of the f- sort of five scheduled Star Wars movies. But it's not J.J. Abrams' fault. He, again, it's the origin story. You have so much setting up to do. So I'm excited for Rogue One. I'm excited for Felicity Jones, which brings us to November 4th, and we'll t- feed directly from this into our wrap up um, about not just Cat, but the MCU. And that movie is Doctor Strange. Noah, you want to jump in on this one? Yeah, I am looking forward to everything in Doctor Strange except the weird whitewashing with Tilda Swinton. It totally takes me out of the trailer. It's so weird that she is made bald and Asian-y. I don't know. That made me uncomfortable. I don't know exactly what the character is in the comic book because I didn't follow Doctor Strange, but that's the vibe I got from that in a big way. But everything else looks incredible. I love all the the... CGI kind of inception stuff that's going on in it. I'm just such a fan of that. I'm such a fan of all the world bending stuff. I hate inception. I love inception. Yeah, this is like the one movie. The only two things Noah and I don't agree on are are Scarlett Johansson and Inception. (laughs) I hate Inception. I hate that it looks like Inception. Actually, the whitewashing, the, the character in the comic books is a very, very, very stereotypical Chinese guy. So, and they also are moving it out of Tibet in order not to piss off China because China gives tons of money to Disney and loves Disney movies. So it can't be Chinese or Tibetan. So whatever. They're putting it in, I don't know, Japan or whatever. I, I don't really care about that, especially because you got Benedict Wong, um, who's going to be hysterical, I think, as like sidekick slash friend. And she would tell Edgy for his, you know, probably my favorite actor overall in Hollywood in terms of just loving every movie that he's in and loving his film choices. That's going to be really cool. And, yeah, it'll be more cosmic stuff. Maybe he'll have an Infinity Stone or he'll, you know, get a, a glimpse of the future. Um, it's definitely going to be an origin story I'm always skeptical about, but this one is particularly interesting. I just hope it doesn't look ultimately like Inception. I, I, I wanted it to look sort of like harry potter meets the avengers like that's what that was the aesthetic i thought was going to sort of happen um but you know if, if they take it a different way that's cool um gabriel any are you excited all for dr strange my enthusiasm is yeah, if i had to rank it from one to ten it'd probably be uh, like a six yeah that's where um, i am i'm like a six or seven yeah 
it'll be interesting to see how it fares being a a solo origin movie and not a or or a, a solo like a really solo solo movie. You know, like Ant Man didn't do well. Winter Soldier did, you know, relatively no, Ant-Man, well. Garden. Ant Man did extremely well, proportional. It made way more money than they thought. The Ant Man budget was the lowest ever for an MCU movie going back to 2008. It was a $130 million budget. It made over $520 million worldwide. No one saw that coming. Uh, they wouldn't have greenlit the Ant Man and Wasp sequel if that didn't happen. So I, that's a that's a it, that's a misconception uh, um, widely held. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up. Uh, go ahead. No, never mind. No, 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 no. I'm, sorry. I, I'm just saying. I'm saying. I'm saying. You got bizzled. No, I mean, yeah, no, it's like, I mean it, it opened to like you know fifty-five million in the first week. I mean that's almost doing you know incredible hot numbers. You know, I mean it wasn't. It wasn't the runaway smash that Marvel well, this was, is the, okay. was used to, you know, for especially for uh, I guess yeah. it opened in what July. Yeah, but dude, this is it. This is that was a perfect transition, which is that Disney is so locked in with international distribution now. You know, I've been talking for a year about my one third, two third split theory, which is that the best movies, both critically best, but also the money makers, make one third here and two thirds abroad. If you look, I mean, Iron Man 3 is the perfect example. Iron Man 3 made 400 million domestic, which is very strong, but made 800 million overseas. No one saw that coming. The Avengers, same thing. Both Avengers movie, one third, two thirds split. I think Ant Man actually got more than two thirds abroad. That's why 150 domestic doesn't look great. But then you add, you know, 380 million abroad or something like that, um, and that's why these movies can do well. Yeah, Ant Man looked like it was going to be a flop, and maybe even if let's say Doctor Strange is only me- mediocre, it could still make 700, 800 million dollars because of distribution. Um, and not to mention it has four Academy Award winner slash nominees in the movie that we know about well, so they, far. You no, know, they should have. They should have upped the Asian anti in that. They should have had some. You know, ancient one could have been, you know, uh, a non stereotypical Asian person. And I don't understand like where, like the Chinese market is so you know is catered to in a lot of films, but that's because other they, ways, it, but, the big Marvel movies make two hundred and fifty to three hundred million of their dollars in China. So if you take you know if you take China out of Avengers: Age of Ultron, they're just over a billion. But with China, they're at one point four plus. Yeah, I hate to say it, but you got to cater to that market. Um, you don't well, have no, to, but, but considering that, I don't understand why considering that you would whitewash, um, like while, while, while whitewashing is happening as much, like, oh, right. well, that's the way Hollywood has been traditionally, but you know, yeah, they, you I know, think we're going to get more information the same way I'm, I'm trying to calm people down about the ghost in the shell thing, at least until we have more information in terms of what the translation is going to be, because you know, right. So we've got white people playing parts that are traditionally played by Asian people, but it's it's a lot different because of how controversial the character is in Doctor Strange. You're arguing for a third path, I think, where you do have someone Asian or Chinese, but make them much more subtle and less stereotypical. I would be totally fine with that. I think they just wanted Tilda Swinton. I mean, she's won multiple Academy Awards, you yeah. know? I think they just wanted her acting ability. Um, she's so stupendous. Yeah, Noah. Yeah, 
And that's the problem with Hollywood whitewashing is they go, oh, yeah, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. Oh, wouldn't Tilda be great in here? Right. Because they're so blind. Right. They're blind to the fact that they have – that you don't get to have all like those white actors in these movies if that just because you want them because that's whitewashing. It's like just such a blindness to the whole concept of what needs to happen to end this. Yeah, and if you just look at uh, Chadwick Boseman um, – Michael B. Jordan. Um, who's the dude who played uh, MLK? I always forget his name. In, in Selma. Yeah, I forget too. Do you know the guy who played uh, David Aiello? Uh, Aiello? Aiello? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So those three young, relatively young black actors and one or two others, they're getting all the roles. I mean, Will Smith can't even get a role these days. I don't know if he wants one, but, you know, it's the same thing. You know, you just keep going back to the well, same he, well. He, he can't. He can't get an Oscar nomination these days, but he's still he's still working. He's a concussion. Right, but you know, I, but like I I know someone who's very upset that Chadwick Boseman is got cast as Thorough Good Marshall because he looks he looks nothing like him or whatever. I could care less about that, but you know, it, it's true that a, a small number of actors of of color, uh, men but especially women. I mean, who is even out there among women? people of color getting leads, you know, uh, in any movie that I'm, I'm not aware of any in this entire year. Is there a single movie with a female lead person of color? Well, there was some, uh, controversy about, uh, the Nina Simone biopic and Zoe. Zoe being Latina and not black. Right. Yeah. And, but she's black Latina. I don't know. Again, well, it's all just, about the not performance. Just like that, but like being, being lighter sorry. and them having to use darkening makeup uh, on her to make I her think, fit the role, which you know kind of evokes a lot of you know historical baggage right. on that. And then you know with Nina Simone being the artist and personality that she that she was, and her like how much she em, embodied you know that yeah. black black beauty and that her her skin embraced her skin tone to, to then yeah, you know, I that, can see why a lot of people were were offended. That I don't like, although I will say, you know, Zoe's been trying to get this project off the ground since before she was famous, essentially. So, you know, it it is a passion project, and so I'm willing to give a little bit of leeway there. Plus, I just love Zoe Saldana, and while she's great in all these blockbuster movies, it's so fun to see her in movies like Infinitely Polar Bear and movies like that just be a straight-up actress because she's fucking awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's like, you know, she's, she's the future, like her look, you know, like multi-ethnic from multinational, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I hear that though, man, you, you know, you gotta, you gotta do it. But I mean, things are definitely getting better for women, you know, all the Star Wars heroes that we're getting interested to interested in, um, uh, have been women, female leads so far, but yeah, women of color, not as much. And so going forward, let's do the wrap-up here, the MCU. Okay, we'll talk about women and people of color. We got Black Panther, check. We've got uh, Captain Marvel slash Miss Marvel slash Carol Danvers, check. We've got Anthony Mackie, who we're going to keep seeing, check. I don't think we're going to be seeing much Don Cheadle going forward. I do know that they've already announced that in Black Panther that there's going to be at least four central female le- uh, co-leads in that movie. It's not just going to be his bodyguards. Like, there's going to be a lot of female people of color, you know, rocking it there. We've got Tessa Thompson and Thor. That's great. Um, you know, I, I guess we can always ask for more. Uh, Gabriel, let me throw this to you first and then, I'll, then to Noah. Like, where do you think Marvel's at at the moment in terms of 
kind of slowly building towards not all all white dudes. Are they moving fast enough? Should they be moving faster? Is you know is there a chance of forcing it? And uh, sort of one A is you know Iron Man, Cap, and Thor were famous properties for a long time, but they weren't as famous as Spider-Man and X-Men, and they made them work on a big stage. Now we're dealing with third-tier properties. I'm just talking about comic book sales, like Miss Marvel and uh, and Black Panther. Can they make it those work? So that was sort of a two-part question. Feel free to address either or both. So to address the first question about like the pace of just bringing in more diversity, yeah, I think it's, it's going per- perfectly. Uh, well, I'm, I'm just... I'm happy with what I'm seeing personally, just in civil war to see, you know, characters that, you know, just black characters. There was a, a nice, you know, ratio of, you know, black goons, you know, henchmen and, in, in, uh, in the Nigerian scene, you know, where, you know, they didn't have to, you know, these crossbones was very open in his hiring policies. You know, there was a nice <laughs> diversity there. I mean, it wasn't Africa. That was appropriate. Um, and I was watching Age of Ultron and the scene where the Hulkbuster was battling the Hulk and they were in somewhere in Africa. And Johannesburg. It was Johannesburg in real life. Yeah, it was, okay. It was supposed to be Johannesburg in real life. But, you know, there were there were a lot of white police. Most of the police officers in that scene were white. And we're just like, oh, well, it was possible. So I guess that does make sense in South Africa. But... Well, yeah. Um, if you if you go to Johannesburg, the yeah, police force yeah. it's a, it's a mixed police force, but all the civilians were black for the most part. Uh, that were, yeah. yeah. I mean, it it, but, it felt like Johannesburg, which I've been to. So go ahead. Yeah, so, and I was very happy with it. You know, you had the strong characters. You had Falcon, Black Panther, War Machine. You had the the kid that was killed in Sokovia. You know, like the one. Probably the first black right, guy ever right. in the, in that country. That he, he happened to be, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know who 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 was killed, and, and really the the most the tipping point for uh, Tony to really be in the position to really embrace, you know, uh, the, those accords. So I'm sorry. Can I just jump in for a second? Because this is yeah. a nitpick with the Civil War movie. I, I needed to get out and totally forgot about, which is. Why did they have to have multiple Sokovia revenge fantasies again in this movie? I mean, the whole story of the Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver from Ultron was a revenge for, you know, Tony Stark's bombs falling on on Sokovia, right? And so, okay, so they destroyed Sokovia. That sucks. And then, you know, you have the woman guilt-tripping... Um, I can never remember her name. She's a great character actress, the African-American woman at the beginning. She's in a lot of stuff. She's a lot. She's a lot. Yeah, but and that was a great performance by her. So there's another, and then, but but to me, the fact that the Daniel Brühl Zemo storyline came down to yet another revenge plot for Sokovia, I, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I, it's you know that 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 was all they could come up with. I'm sorry to interrupt well, you, man. Yeah, I guess it boils down to the follow up on that is is similar to what that the equation that Vision had come up with to explain. You know the the rise of the Avengers because of Tony Stark coming out as Iron Man increased yep. the amount of you know cataclysmic uh, or which know, is, world changing events that would which, happen. Which Matt and I talked about actually. You know, I 
I'm a big Taoism guy. You know, it's all about mutually entailing binaries or opposites. You can't have one without the other. Was pretty much what Vision was saying. You know, we have super enemies, but that didn't really start happening until we had superheroes. So, which and that's what Batman was about too. That and that's what I think. It's, if 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 the Russo brothers and the, and the Marcus and McFeely, the writers, could, knew what Batman v Superman was going to be like and be about, I think they would have restructured some of the themes and some of the plot lines to be different because it is it is quite reminiscent. And, and you know, Jarvis, not Jarvis, well, yeah, Jarvis, uh, the Vision just vocalized into a, a specific theory what both of the movies have really been talking about. Um, no, do you want to jump in on this at all? Um, I think. You covered what how I feel about that concept for sure. I mean, that's that's what yeah, that's how I feel about that for sure. Okay, no, how do you feel uh, uh, things are going in terms of uh, female slash people of color characters in Marvel? Well, I think it's all fine and good that we're seeing that we that the uh, female characters are coming in and that we see people of color, but I think the issue of having um, people of color is that you need them in a leading role where a, a kid is going to say, hey, look, that action star looks like me. I want to be like him. So as we can have as many supporting black characters as we want. It's still not breaking any mold until that Black Panther movie comes out. So that's why I think that movie is just so important because <coughs> Blade, black Blade. kids growing up need to look up and say, oh, yeah, that guy looks like me and he's a superhero. I can be a superhero. I can be anything. Blade. Yeah. yeah, Gabriel pimping okay. Blade as yeah, usual. Blade. Blade. Yeah, I'll make a shirt like that. Hey, everybody, go, go see those Blade movies. <laughs> no, but I do think we're going to eventually see, you know, like white kids dressing up as Black Panther for Halloween. And for me, that's progress. Yeah, unless that gets weird. Well, uh, why, why would that get oh, weird? Put it, put it politically, you know, with the. Yeah, just, I mean, how much are they going to be dressing up as Black Panther? Are we talking just the costume? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these kids have no idea where the name Black Panther comes from. Yeah, uh, to me that's progress that they don't know. Oh no, I don't. I don't mean that they're going to be referencing back Black. I was just making a joke about blackface. Uh, oh, oh I, I'm saying. talking about like, the costume. You know, I'm talking about the costume. <laughs> I'm talking about the kitty costume. I just I think, think there's going to be one kid that doesn't see it coming and just decides to do that because he thinks it's a good idea, and then it's like going to be all over YouTube. Well, that would be an interesting discussion for sure. Um, I, 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 the thing is, I do wish this process would be accelerated, but I think Black Panther is going to be their mo- biggest and most important franchise going forward for so many reasons. Now, Gabriel, when you were on for the Star Star Wars review, you talked about how in Ghana you went and like there aren't even that many theaters and like the movie like culture there it right isn't quite like it's still in development like do you think a movie like black panther could could forward that development or or it's something that that africans will just treat like another disney movie well i mean i said development just in terms of the theater going experience yeah yeah I mean, in terms of know. fan in terms of fan yeah, culture just, yeah just, yeah, just going to a theater, eating the popcorn, you know, and standing in line. But Dressing of, up, you know, got the lightsaber, yeah. Definitely with, like, Nollywood and, you know, right. African cinema is definitely thriving and, and so is still super culturally relevant to Africans. And, you well, know, let, me, let, me, let, me, a, let me let me get more specific on this, which right, is right. Wakanda being 
both super advanced and totally made up. Is that something that Africans would relate to? It being not really an African country, I, I don't. I think Africans will relate to it because in the comics it is so African um, in culture, and I think they're going to put even more care in designing that culture to be reminiscent of other ones, but without being derivative. I think that's where they're going to be spending a lot of time. Um, I know you sort of straddle the the, the ocean a little bit right. yourself. Um, I, I have a lot of, of African friends, as you know, from the mu- my time in the music business and, and being over there. I think Africans are going to get behind Black Panther, but I'd be curious to see what, what your, your – make your prediction now, and we'll have it on record for when it comes out. Well, I mean, I can't speak for all Africans. But I think that the, the film is in good hands with Ryan Coogler and Chadwick Boseman and the, the, like the, the creative freedom adding uh, Coogler as a writing credit. And for what they've, the character has shown so far that, you know, it's something that you know, anybody who, who watches the movie is going to be impressed with, with the portrayal, the, the filmmaking, the, every part of it. So, you know, I, I see Africans, you know, being part of that and embracing that the same way I project it to be a success in every way. And just something different. I mean, it definitely, and I, uh, well, let me. Can, can I add to that? Based in Africa right. is not something that we've seen in a movie before. Well, so and that's be, and that's why it was important that we have him not in Africa for this movie to show that he is an international figure, and that he, you know, like I, I think we will see him go abroad at some point during the movie. I, the ninety percent will be in Africa, but I'm sure we'll see him go abroad just for the the international stakes, and maybe just to Johannesburg or you know or or, or Nairobi or something. But um, I think it's important to establish the connective tissue. I mean, they showed us on the map where it is now, right? It's basically where Rwanda and Uganda are, I believe, is what I would you know, sort of west of the Horn of Africa before the, the Congo. Yeah. Um, so okay, man. Well, let me let me expand the question one more, and then we'll do final thoughts. Which is, yeah. Um, uh, h- how do you think African Americans are going to respond to Black Panther? Again, uh, you know, I think from in terms of the narrative, not in terms of individual people, just in terms of the narrative in, in the various communities. I think it'll be embraced. I mean, this is similarly, I'm going to plug Blade again, you know, that it's not totally uncharted territory where, I mean, it's uncharted territory that it's in Africa. And I mean, if we want to, you know, go into, there are definite, I don't want to say rifts, but there are definitely different perspectives coming from, you know, black American, African American experience yes. and African experience right. where, you know, there's, there may be different perspectives on it, different appreciation. I mean, there, there's a certain segment of, of black America that'll be like, Oh, you know, this black Panther, they're worshiping a Panther spirit. Oh, that sounds like some hoodoo voodoo to me. I mean, you may have a contingent of, of, uh, you know, black people. If you're like a, a black, uh, Baptist from like Alabama or South Carolina, where uh, they may not want their kids even seeing it and say like, Oh, this is on some, some like weirdness. You know what I mean? So, but I the mean, fact I, that it's so advanced, if they just market it the right way, I think people will be on board. That's an interesting idea, though, man, is that I've been saying and thinking it's going to be a pure imperialism story, but, you know, Africa's, Africans um, 
experience with white people is imperialism and colonialism and post-colonialism. Oh, but it was it was very successful. <laughs> right, right, right. So, no, but I, I, I'm that. just I'm, I'm just using it to contrast to slavery and then post-slavery and modern uh-huh. racism in this country. There are some similarities. There are some differences. And so I think Kugler actually is the guy to bring in the American racial themes, even though it's in Africa, to make it accept. Let's put it this way. I think there are going to be multiple African-American characters playing African-Americans in, in the movie. Uh, you know, it's not just all going to be Africans. And you're going to have some white people, too. You'll have white Africans. I mean, that's the thing. They have to make it really multiracial, really multinational. So we'll see. We'll see what's going on. All right, so we got to wrap up here. Uh, this was awesome. And so I'm going to pass it around. I'll start with Noah. I want to hear from 1 to 10, give a rating, 10 being the best, 1, you know, obviously not the best. Um, and then uh, sort of final thought about, about the movie and uh, where, where you think we'll be with, with the movie in this universe going forward. No, I'll start with you. Well, just to bring it a little full circle, um, when we were talking earlier about the phases of the movies and if it really felt like this was should have been uh, the end of the last phase or the beginning of this phase um, – I think this really was a great beginning uh, to a new phase. I think it's really sending us off in a great direction to get away from the Avengers for a little bit because they are split up. They're licking their wounds. And I think it's just uh, setting us up for more of what I've loved about the Marvel movies, which is I I love it when they introduce characters like Ant-Man, Black Panther, the Wasp. I'm uh, Doctor Strange. I, I can't wait to see these new characters in the universe. So I am ready for it. And ra- a ra- uh, oh, and a rating score. <laughs> of uh, Civil War. Okay, let's see here. Um, I'm going to give it an 8. I'm going to give it an 8. Okay. 0. 0.5. <laughs> what did you think you were going to give it before you saw it? I thought I might give it a 9. Um, I'm like... I don't think I'm a, a Disney, even though I'm a huge MCU fan, I don't think a Disney Marvel movie will ever be a 10 movie for me. Yeah. Because... These are movies that have to be made so quickly that a 10 movie, in my opinion as a filmmaker, is first and foremost made by the script. And you can't it, – it's like one in a billion to write a script that quickly that is that good. Yeah. So uh, – but yeah, um, I just – and the reason I say 8.5 instead of 9, which I anticipated, was just because I looked at my watch twice. Mm, mm, mm. Gabriel, what about you, buddy? Uh, those, uh, th- just general wrap-up thoughts and then uh, give it a score. Uh, wrap up thoughts. Yeah, I love the movie. Uh, you know, if I could find anybody in my life that's gonna, you know, hold my helicopter, keep me from leaving, <laughs> you know, I, I'll be fulfilled as a person. You know, and so I mean, that was a you know, beautiful moment for, for me. The symbolism and everything. Um, I may go see it again. I may I may go yeah. see it for the third time. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw it twice. Enjoyed. It. I didn't. I didn't have that moment of. Yeah, I wish I was looking at my watch. And for me, even when the pace was slow in the beginning, it just had that that intensity. It was like a slow burn, just like what's going to happen next. Like what? Right. You know, it really kept me engaged the whole time. And again, you know, people are talking about a lull in the in the in the third in the last act, but still, just with the stakes being raised. Like yes, after that fight, you know, nobody you weren't really worried about anybody dying in the fight, but people got locked up after the fight and seeing like. You didn't uh, even realize during the fight that, you know, that the stakes were them being imprisoned and, like, it being so dark. 
And then on the second rewatch, it's just like understanding, like, wow, like they're they're fighting for their freedom. These are the stakes. Like they know, I don't know, even if they don't know, like now we know that, you know, probably, you know, with Hawkeye being in jail, like, look, we didn't, they probably didn't even really understand the gravity of that fight that they were going to have, that their free, very freedom was at stake. Right. So, yeah, for me, you know, understanding that better the second time and just, um, you know, and just, just being so invested for that last, last portion. I was willing to look past the villain that wasn't a super strong villain. Honestly, the villain wasn't even really needed for me. You know, it it was just a plot device to put, to make these friends and these characters address the issues that they already have. You know, Bucky killed uh, Iron Man's parents or Tony's parents before, you know, without uh, Baron Zemo, that those were issues that had to come to, to be addressed, you know, whether there was a villain involved or not. So, mm-hmm. you know, that all that stuff being incidental and really just focusing on uh, the characters, it's that last image of Iron Man just sitting there alone with the shield. And he's like, yo, my father made that shield, you know, you don't deserve it. And just him just being physically and just emotionally exhausted and broken. With the you know, claw marks all over it. Love yeah, that. yeah, just, you know, it's just, that, that'll that be a, a, a lasting impact. And here's this, you yep. know, Captain America. And yeah, yeah, I mean, Tony, Tony and Robert Downey Jr. really, really did steal this movie. His, you know, his, his performance, his arc, you know, what he, how, what a departure. I think it was a departure from his other, his other portrayals where it wasn't just the, the clip machine that we all, all love, or it really was just, yeah, he's vulnerable. He's broken. He's he wants desperately to keep yeah. the only family that he has together. Like, and that's know, why I that, think just really quickly, you know, he was like extra giddy when he finally got to be quippy RDJ with Spider Man. It was almost like he was holding it in as an actor, and when he finally got to, he was just like, you know what I mean? So, um, all right, we'll give it a score. I, you know, nine point five out of ten. Woo. Oh yeah, when the soldier being like nine point eight, nine point nine, like near yeah. perfection. But yeah, for me, I kind of uh, agree. With you. Yeah, it's about it's about nine nine point five. Um, I mean, here's the thing: if you look at, we've now had thirteen MCU movies. Okay, this was the thirteenth of all of them. The only three that have a great final act, in my opinion, are the two Avengers movies and Captain America Civil War. And those are my three favorite MCU movies by far. And that's not the only reason, but I can poke holes in easily both Thor movies. I can poke holes in Cap 1. I can poke holes in all the Iron Man movies. I could poke holes in Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I have argue, long argued the first two acts of Guardians are much more compelling than the final space battle. Who cares? That's a fun movie. That's one of those movies that I love despite a somewhat weak final act. The other ones, though, you know, can, can really harm it. I'm going to give this an 8. Um, I thought I would give it an 8.5 or a 9. But I just found enough little nitpicks to bring it down to an 8, which is still an excellent, excellent score. But yeah, I have the Avengers and and uh, Winter Soldier at around a 9, pu- pushing like 9.1, 9.2. If I had to pick a perfect movie, it'd have to be like if I could combine both Avengers movies into like one long saga, which it basically is, like that could be a 10 for me. Um, but that's, you know, that's Joss Whedon. I mean, he, you know, there just aren't a lot of Joss Whedon's out there. 
And uh, I guess that'll be my final thought. This was awesome, guys. Thanks for being on. Uh, Noah, uh, thanks so much for being on. It was great to be here, Jesse. And Gabriel, thank you, my friend, as always. And I'll expect that Ultron DVD back. So you're getting the Ultron back and you're getting Blade 2, my friend. Yes. It's coming together as a package. Awesome, man. Stop by any time. I might bring it over right now. Maybe we, what do you got to do? Maybe we watch, watch Blade 2. Blade 2 time. Dude, I, I don't think Noah could stay, but you could come on by right now. We'll watch Blade 2. All right, bet, bet. I'm, I'm down. down. I'll, call, I'll call you in five minutes. Okay. All right. Actually, give me a little time, man. I gotta drink some water and rest. <laughs> I'm, not trying to talk. I'm not trying to talk right now. I'm about to eat this burrito, man. But yeah, awesome. I'll, I'll, we'll link up. Awesome, brother. All right. Thanks All right. so much, guys. And the Bizzlecast is out. All right, boys.